Yes, we are welcoming a new show to iHeart and the DraftKings YouTube channel. It's called Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toladano. John Wall doesn't need no introduction. It's an insider's look at the NBA and culture surrounding the league. Every week, the five-time All-Star and the number one pick of the 2010 NBA Draft, John Wall, will give his unique perspective on the hottest topics in the league. So check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, the DraftKings YouTube channel, or wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. L-A-S-I-K, LASIK.com. Have you been thinking about LASIK but not sure if you're a candidate? Just go to LASIK.com quiz and take our free candidacy quiz. In just a few minutes, you'll know if LASIK is likely right for you. And if it is, we'll connect you with experienced LASIK doctors in your area. Start your journey towards 2020 vision. Take our free candidacy quiz at LASIK.com quiz. Yeah, LASIK.com. Easy to remember, so you know where to start. L-A-S-I-K, LASIK.com. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. I don't know, I mean, would you ever do that? I never do that. Never. We don't roll like that, yo. I mean, what, what, what do you need to do that for? I, I mean, never, ever, ever even considered looking shit up. Nope. I mean, just in general, it's just not something I do. It's not something I do. Ain't no fact checking. Long weekend, long ass, all new, original I Am Rappaport Stereo podcast episode. I'm here with the three-time, three-peter, three-monetti. Yep. Back to back to back. Podcast co-host of the year for the new listeners, and there's always new listeners. My name is Michael Rappaport, a.k.a. the Gringo Mandingo. Here with G. Moody, Gerald Moody. As I yep. said, three-time podcast co-host of the year. We're coming to the end of 2017. But we can't stop, won't stop. In this episode, as I told you, <clears throat> we're giving it out the coveted Sportsman of the Year, the I Am Rappaport Stereo Podcast Sportsman of the Year, along with the really, really coveted 2017 sick fuck of the year. <laughs> I mean, th- th- this is an award. People are like sending in submissions, 
protests have already shown up online. But we got to do it. We got to do it. And and in my opinion, listen, I'm going to be honest. Even G. Monetti can verify right now that he doesn't know who the 2017 Sick Fuck of the Year award winner is. I'm the only person that knows that. I couldn't even share it with Monetti. (laughs) Right. And I asked. (laughs) Harassing me. Yo, let me know. I, I can't tell anybody. If I tell you, the secret might get out. Okay, I'm just going to say this. The 2017 Sick Fuck of the Year winner, he was a clear-cut favorite amongst the rest. Right now, it's just about who's going to get second place. Because the winner was clear-cut from the beginning. Along with that, like I said, we have Roy Jones Jr., six-time world champion boxer in four Weight classes. Pensacola's in the motherfucking house. <laughs> um, great interview with Roy. Then we got former NBA player and star at Iowa State, Royce White. You remember that name, Royce White? Nah, not, not too familiar with that. Remember, he was a guy, 2012 draft. He was obviously the best player in the 2012 draft. Um, and he was struggling with anxiety. Got drafted by the Houston uh, Rockets. We talked about this. I remember this is pre-podcast, but we talked about it. And and he had anxiety so bad he was afraid to fly. And, and it became a whole thing. And inevitably, you know, he breaks down his story. Um, you know, he was released by the Houston Rockets. I think, uh, you know, they considered him too much of a problem. You know, he, he's very outspoken. He's in the same draft class with our guy Andre Drummond, Dame Lillard. Anthony mm-hmm. Davis, Bradley Beal, um, big dude, like 6'9", 270, like, a, like, you know, they were saying LeBron-ish, handled the ball, was it was a standout in the tournament. So we got Royce White talking about his story, where he's at. He's still playing pro ball. I think he'll wind up back in the NBA. He's too talented not to wind up in the back, back up in the NBA, but he's definitely outspoken. He, he needs to get on the Madden bus. <laughs> Fuck the flights. Just take John Madden's bus all around. Yeah, well, he he talks about it. You know, a lot of oh. a lot of his stuff that went through in his story was was kind of, uh, you know, the media if they don't want to uh, sort of spell the whole situation out, it, it can wind up being a detriment sometimes. Yeah. So he's got a dope story, and then Saturday night, tomorrow night, the thirtieth, UFC headliner Chris Cyborg. She's fighting Holly Holm in Vegas, UFC 219. She's an ass kicker. She's the fucking featherweight champion of the world, the UFC featherweight champion of the world. She's the one who was really looking to put a pounding on Ronda Rousey. That fight never happened. Holly Holm is the one who first beat Ronda Rousey. Anyway, we got Chris Cyborg. She grew up rough, rough, Mm. rough from the bottom of the bottom. And she's fighting Holly Holm? Yes. It's going to be a good fight. Oh, okay. And so we got three interviews. It's, listen, it's a long weekend, Moody. We wanted to give a long-ass I Am Rapport Stereo podcast episode. Let's do it. So, Mo- Monetti. Yo. You know, social media is a motherfucker. Addictive and and uh, very mean-spirited at times. <laughs> but I see that Kwanzaa, 
People have very many feelings, mixed feelings about Kwanzaa. Oh, for real? <laughs> Kwanzaa has been trending for the last two days on social Why? media. Why? I don't know. I don't know. I wanted to what? see your take on Kwanzaa, if you had anything to share with me on Kwanzaa. Uh, I don't have anything to share, but I know it's a good a holiday or a variation. And I'm not too, too uh, uh, I don't know too much about it, so I can't uh, uh, fucking downgrade it. I can't, but I know <laughs> it's a good, it's a good thing. It's, it's, um, I, I, I can't get into it because I don't want to say what it is or what it isn't but it's a good thing what 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 have you been hearing it, it just some people think it's you know a, a totally and i'm talking about black people white people mm-hmm. i mean i've heard so many different things because I, I, I every year it's like kwanzaa comes up and it's like oh shit kwanzaa mm-hmm. but on social media like when something is trending for two days it's just interesting because if something is trending on twitter it <laughs> okay. sort of gives it validity Oh really? And oh some, shit! You know what I'm saying? It's just like right. it just becomes more in the in the in the landscape of what people are talking about, so what people are thinking about. You know, one of the things you know, I can't remember who the comedian was. I think it was <clears throat> was it Cat Williams. He was like, "Yeah, my cousin invented Kwanzaa." Some funny shit. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and then people were saying it, it's sort of you know, and it's exclusive, and it's it, it whatever the fuck. I wanted to see your take on it. You know, speaking of exclusive, this this comedian who I like, her name is uh, Eliza Schlesinger. She's right. one of these, you know, female comedians, funny sort of a uh, shit talker. She's in a, a trouble. There's a lawsuit. She has a girl only show. All girls, mm-hmm. written by girls, performed by girls, and. Um, She's getting sued by a man who said that, you know, they're saying basically uh, it's sex discrimination. And I have to say, I agree. When, 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 you know, if you had like, oh, a blacks only show or a whites only show or an Asians only show or a men's only show, it would be okay. If we really want to try to get to the core of inclusion and fairness for everybody, this shit has to work every which way but loose. Yeah. But you also... If there's no gender, how is there sexism? Good point. Please elaborate. That shows you it's nonsense. If 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 you are if men and women can't agree on what's masculine or feminine, then what the hell? How could there be sexism? If there if you if there's no such thing as gender. See, this is nonsense. See, you shouldn't no one should waste any time, waste none of your huh. brain power huh. with this. If, if there's no gender, how is there sexism? Yeah, that's because what? there's so many different beliefs and so many different sort of f- f- fractions and factions of of who's doing what, who believes what. <laughs> there's no gender. There is gender. I'm 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 raising my kid genderless. Ah, uh, come on, man. Come on, man. Let yo. I'm with reality. Uh, I, I'm, I'm with, with reality too. I'm with reality, and and there is a gender. You you may not like it. But there is a gender. I'm biologically male. My I'm male. And right? if you don't want to and, use the word male, make up another word. But I'm definitely not the same thing as my wife. Right, exactly. We're different. Hormones different. We're different. And you can't call sexism 
if you believe that there's no such thing as male or female. So what the fuck are you talking about? Yeah. This is nonsense, man. Yeah. This is terrible. But yo, you just gotta, you just gotta navigate it and look and take it for what it is. Foolishness. That's what I call it. Foolishness. Yeah, everybody's got a goddamn opinion. And because of Twitter, everybody could share their opinion. Because of Facebook, social media, and that's that's good, bad, and in between. Listen, it's 2017's last hours. I was thinking about some of the, the, the great moments that have happened on the I Am Rappaport Stereo podcast in 2017. We had Bizarro Steph Curry. We had Bizarro Tiger Woods. We had Bizarro Baron Trump. We had Bizarro Eli Manning. DMX. Bizarro DMX. Remember Warren Beatty at the Oscars? That seems like so long ago. Yeah. Those are classics. <laughs> the great stick man Warren Beatty at the Oscars with the Moonlight La La Land flub. <laughs> right. We declared the normally historically friendly skies... The unfriendly skies, you need to be prepared and ready to rumble. And we've been proven correct. Yo, motherfuckers are getting it getting it on when they fly. Yeah. yeah. How you gonna be an airline and not delegate seating? You just you just uh you're just fucking basically creating an environment for the passengers to get into fisticuffs. <laughs> yeah, you, like, you you want people to like, oh figure it out on your own. Yeah. And people, people are animals. Sit. Yeah, people, I want to sit next to the window. I want to, so, yo, if you try to get there first, what's it going to be? It's going to be some bullshit. This is what they want. Yo, this is, this is terrible, man. Especially when you paid for a seat. Oh, man. So much stuff going on in 2017. Remember when Bill Cosby claimed he was fucking blind? (laughs) Yes, I would too. Hey. They were looking to put him under the fucking jail. I don't oh, know. Yeah. I, I, I don't know if that's going to continue. I, I, I've lost track with the Bill Cosby uh, thing. It's not over. Another trial is on the docket. Oh, Came out with the new edition movie. We broke records at BET. Oh, I am Rapport Stereo Podcast. Joined Barstool Sports. That was a big deal. Hell yeah. LeBron blames. LeBron <laughs> blames. LeBron blames. Remember the fucking. Broomgate. Yeah. Don't forget your uh, your boy KD. Oh, we're going to uh, get to him, the sportsman of the year, because yeah. that, that saga's not over. Uh, him jumping ship. Don't forget that. We're going to get to that in 2007, <laughs> in the sportsman of the year. I'm going to be honest. G. Monetti doesn't even know who the, the Iron Rapport Stereo Podcast sportsman of the year is. Yeah. I, and I may have a, uh, the gentleman from Brooklyn may have dissension. When I hear it. <laughs> oh, trust me. Trust me. You're going to be happy when you hear who the Iron Rapport Stereo Podcast Sportsman of the Year is. I, I'm pretty sure everybody's going to be satisfied when I announce the Iron Rapport Stereo Podcast Sportsman of the Year. Yo, we went at motherfuckers in 2017. We went out at Aziz and Zari. Kicked him off of Twitter. That motherfucker quit Twitter. Don't come on here with that bullshit talking about you know what hip-hop is and this nah, and that. Dude. Nah, nah, you can't get away with that money. Nah, dude. Goodbye. Get Goodbye. the fuck out of here. Goodbye. He thinks he thinks hip-hop started with Kanye West. He's like, well, I yeah. was in the studio with Kanye. Yep. 
And for that, you get kicked off. Bye. We went, of course, we went at uh, the Cupcake Kid, a.k.a. Dick Stain Dan, Dan Lebetard. Man, he was crying like a motherfucker on, on the air a couple of days ago. Ooh, dragged that motherfucker twice. His, John Skipper is gone. Yo. Now what? <laughs> he brought out some of my best shit talking ever. Bill Simmons. Yeah. Willie Hutch. <laughs> oh, the Willie Hutch treatment. The emergence of the Willie Hutch treatment. The Iconic. Met Gala. The fucking shame game. It's been some, uh, I mean, uh, Charlottesville, that whole they, shit. They just keep coming. We lost the great Charlie Murphy. Yeah. Comedian. Fats Hugh, Domino. Hugh yeah. Hefner. Yeah. Don Rickles, Adam West, another stick man, Tom Petty. I mean, it is a crazy. 2017 will definitely have an asterisk next to it. Yeah, yeah. Dick Enberg can't miss, make mistake on him. Dick Enberg is is past, so. The, the great sportcaster. Yeah, grew up on him. It's, it's bad. Um, So much is going on. Um, As I told you, we're going to give the 2017 Sportsman of the Year. Uh, Then we're going to give the Sick Fuck of the Year Award. Yo, so the other day, Monetti. What's up? I put out another rant. I put out a, a LeBron rant because you were talking about KD and uh, LeBron James. So they played on Christmas Day. It was a close game. You know, Jose Calderon started the game for the Cavaliers, which in my opinion, as I said on the last podcast, automatically takes it into preseason-like vibe. <laughs> that guy shouldn't be in the league, man. Yo, the fact that Jose Calderon starts a game on Christmas Day already invalidates... <laughs> Christmas Day celebrations. It, 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 fucking Jose Calderon's your starting point guard. It, it, and I get it. I know there's injuries and all that stuff. Isaiah Thomas, Derrick Rose. You can't start the game with Jose Calderon. Yeah. You got to have a fan sign a waiver who played college ball Somebody. and put him in as the point. You got to put a guy in there that looks like he, he plays basketball. And no disrespect, Calderon has had a good career, but it's like, yo, he's at the end of his good career. Yeah, I don't yeah. want to see my man on Christmas. Word. But there's been all this controversy over um, the fouls not called. Kevin Durant fouled LeBron James. I mean, every fucking move these guys make, every step they take. You know, in all of the (laughs) NBA guys' defense, I'll say this. Like, being an NBA player, it's like living in a 24-hour reality show. Yeah. It's like you can't escape every every blip, every, every... piece of shit talking they do every curse every comment they make to each other every comment they make to a fan every post-game interview every pair of sneakers every pair of socks they wear yeah highly scrutinized yeah i mean it's crazy so as much as we like to break their balls you got to think about it and i'm not saying like uh, i feel bad for them i'm just saying like the, the the margin for error is so low because you have guys like me Waiting in the wings to break your fucking balls. But LeBron got fouled at the end of the game, and they're still talking about it. They're still talking about... I mean, LeBron James is not only the best player in the NBA or one of the best players in the NBA, because Kevin Durant is making a public claim like, yo, I'm not saying I'm better than LeBron, but you need to start talking about me as the same as LeBron. No. Yo, check this out. 
Go ahead. For, let me forget, hear. Let me for, hear. For, forget the career. Forget the career because LeBron is ahead of him in the career. Also, LeBron's played way more years than he has. Okay. But when they've matched head to head the last six games, Kevin Durant bust LeBron James' ass in the finals. Uh, I, would, I wouldn't go that far. Okay, I, that's an exaggeration, but I gotta yeah. rub it in when I can. <laughs> and the other day on Christmas. Kevin Durant is guarding LeBron James, and his team keeps on winning. They keep on winning. Now, we could say LeBron does more, LeBron does this, and all that shit, but, yo, they're matching up head-to-head the same way Larry Bird and Magic match up. And obviously, people, you you can't compare their careers because I think Kevin Durant is in whatever, his eighth, ninth, who the fuck knows? I don't know. We don't fact-check at the Iron Rapport Stereo Podcast. New listeners, we don't fact-check at the I Am Rappaport Stereo Podcast. Right. If you want to verify how many years he's been playing, go ahead and verify it. But (laughs) I'm not saying that Kevin Durant is a better player, but when they are matching up head-to-head, as of now, statistically and most importantly, team-wise, because we forget it's it's a team game. At the end of the day, it doesn't matter the stats of each player. It matters which team is winning. Okay, okay. And the Golden State Warriors are better team than the Cleveland Cavaliers now. And in crunch time, from the last six games, the last six games when they have matched up, Kevin Durant has emerged as the winner. Okay, I I, I got you. And it makes sense. But I'm going to prove to you why this guy will always be better than your guy. Go ahead. In his in his fifteenth year, he is better than he was in his tenth year. Steve Kerr made this point: Magic, Bird, Jordan, none of these guys were ever better in their fifteenth year than they were in their tenth. This is, to me, this is clear cut the best player that there will ever be because homeboy can guard all the positions, can play all the positions. He can't guard Kevin Durant. He, yo, Kevin Durant jumped ship and went to an 80-win team. So is it a surprise that this guy won with Steph Curry? It's not a surprise. You were supposed to win. So LeBron has averaged a triple-double in the finals, yo, and, and, and carried them by himself. I want to see this guy... Do that when Steph Curry gets hurt or or Clay Clay uh, gets hurt. I want to see you carry the motherfuckers to yourself. Well, not hey, jump, not jump on a uh that's a that's a fucking what we call that back in the days. That's a slaughter. You you get on a team that got four all stars and you 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 supposed to win, yo. You you You're yo. You see, to win. you see what's going on in Oklahoma City now. We talked about it. We talked about it. Paul George and Carmelo Anthony will not stay playing with Russell Westbrook. It's an unpleasant experience, and I love yeah. fucking Russell Westbrook. Yeah, that's that's his persona. That's his personality. It transfers to the team. He's he's a shoot-first point guard. He's not looking to get you in, and, and, and the team suffers. But LeBron, you can't put this dude in LeBron's... He's not in his, on his level, man. If, you, if we're talking LeBron being arguably the greatest player of all time, you're talking about a dude... Who played eight years? Who 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 did all right? Who who never did shit in the playoffs? Who you know what I'm saying? Like until you got to a team that was basically an all star team, 
You can't you can't get on the level with this dude, man. I'm sorry. You okay, want to go I'm on. I'm just telling you, you that the last on. six games, the last yeah, six that's games, what you Mr. Durant has outplayed Mr. James. And that shit was a foul. Oh, but he's they, 270 fucking pounds. He's playing his best basketball ever. Little skinny, twiggy Kevin Durant. Give him a little, a little touch foul. This guy's the game. built like fucking Carl Malone. He should be able to, he should be able to take that foul. Yo, that's what people always say about LeBron on the street. Oh, he's not the best because he cries for fouls. Yes. That's gamesmanship. You do it. I've done it. You, you're acting to get the foul so you could go to the line and get the opponent uh, a foul or, uh, called on him. It's part of the game. But, but for this guy, it's seen as soft. Get the fuck out of here, man. Well, Y'all crazy. Y'all don't, know, Y'all don't know ball, man. Unfortunately, uh, LeBron James said... He no longer loses sleep about lost basketball games. He said this. You could look it up. Uh, I don't fact check, but I, I will quote this almost verbatim. I don't lose sleep over games. I've lost five finals. Yeah. Well, Mr. James, get ready to lose your sixth final. You fuck oh, so, you. So you're conceding him getting there. <laughs> him. 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 Trade. Let's trade positions. Put Durant on Cleveland, they don't get out of the second round. Not true. Yo, you go to an 80-win team, you don't get respect, B. I'm sorry. That's how it is in ball. That's why. Not not, not true, sir. Um, Your friend LeBron James, he created this. It's biting me in this. But I I don't mean to segue in this repetitive conversation that goes on and on. The point of the matter is is that I I, I put up an epic rant on... Instagram. Uh, when I put up my epic rants about LeBron James, uh, people have so many different opinions. They they love it. They hate it. They they want to fight me. <laughs> Literally, I get challenged to fight. All sorts of shit. <laughs> For I mean, what? they're crazy. Yeah, they literally challenge me to fights. I get you know hundreds and hundreds, literally thousands of comments. So my most recent rant on LeBron James, my takeaway after that game was, you know, King James, maybe King Kevin, you know, (laughs) that has a good ring to it. King Kevin. And lo and behold, guess who left a comment on my Instagram? Motherfucking Rihanna. Oh. Monetti, my heart skipped a beat. You fluttered? Fluttered. Riri left a comment on my Instagram. My heart fluttered. It skipped a beat. I know she's a Rock Nation. I don't think Jay's, uh, uh, King James is Rock Nation, but you know we all know his affiliation with Jay-Z. I think she's friends with LeBron James. She's on Team LeBron James. She left a comment on my Instagram saying, I thought we were friends. Now, I met Rihanna literally in passing at the All-Star Game in New York City a few years ago, my heart skipped a beat. I couldn't say a word. Oh, wow. Nothing came out. The beauty of social media is that the fact that Rihanna even knows that I exist, the fact that she took the probably 12 seconds to leave that comment on my Instagram page, you never fucking know. You never know who's watching You never know who's listening. Crazy thing is, a week before that, 
Steph Curry responded to a tweet that I put out there, and it wasn't even to, to Steph Curry. Wow. I said, while I was watching the Kobe retirement ceremony, I got in my feelings. And Steph Curry tweeted, I concur. Wow. That's what's up. These are our guys, man. These are our fucking guys. The only thing that I had a problem with Steph Curry's tweet of I concur was it should have said I concur. Listen. <laughs> listen. I was verklempt when I saw these responses from Rihanna. And I saw this response from Mr. Curry. As you may or may not know, Rihanna's my number one. Oh, hell yeah. Read that. I, I, I take her over J-Lo. I take her over Beyonce. I take her over a- any of these pop stars, any of these actresses. She's my number one. Yeah, me too. Me too. I love her. No doubt. I love hell her. Hell yeah. I fucking hell love yeah. Riri. I love her. <laughs> There's been a lot of great sports stuff this year. Um, Obviously, the Patriots beat the Falcons after being down 28-3. to Yeah, and and the fucking owner buck dancing on the sideline as if they won it already. Good for you. Yo, that was... Listen, as much shit as I could talk about the Patriots, and I told it right to our guy Julian Edelman who in 2017 acknowledged being a fan of this podcast and acknowledged being a fan of G. Moody, last name rhymes with duty. Yeah, these are our guys. Classic episode. If you want to listen to the Julian Edelman episode, it's a fucking classic. Yeah, all-timer. I told him, I said, "I I I don't know what to say about you guys. They got like fucking voodoo on their side, the Patriots. Uh, You can't front on them. Um, that automatically puts Tom Brady at the top of the Sportsman of the Year consideration. Oh, uh, yeah, that performance. Um, Charles Oakley incident, that was this year. That was 2017. Feels like a long time ago. That was 2017. Um, obviously, Charles Oakley getting arrested in Madison Square Garden. Charles Oakley, all his accomplishments with the Knicks. Charles Oakley finger-pointing. At the security guard and damn near giving the guy whiplash in Madison Square Garden. Puts him up at the top of the consideration for Sportsman of the Year. Chris Mullen freaking out at the Garden. St. John's versus Georgetown. Mm-hmm. On some Rocky Three shit. Me, Michael Rappaport, the gringo Mandingo. I brought a broom into game three of the NBA Finals. I walked the fucking broom into the arena in Cleveland. Mm. Fearless. Fearless. <laughs> you lucky you got out of there with you lucky. Hey, listen, after they won the game, and that was the game when KD made the shot over LeBron, it was gorgeous. Uh, a little jumper. <laughs> the three-pointer dribbled the ball up the court and jaded in his face. And the beauty of LeBron on that play is that he turned around slow because he knew it was going in. I mean, you have to give me consideration for Sportsman of the Year to have the fucking balls, the balls to get a grade A. I'm talking about a heavyweight broom. I didn't get the goddamn broom at some local drugstore. I went to a hardware store. That broom was heavy. I walked that fucker right onto the court. (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah, that was stupid. <laughs> and consequently, game four, the, what's the name of the Cleveland Arena? Who gives a shit? What's the name of that place? Uh, I, I don't know. Quicken Arena? I don't Quicken know. fucking Loans Arena. This is why you can't take these places seriously. The only place you can really take seriously is Madison Square Garden, my friends. Oh, you can't say that. <laughs> as far as an arena, it's the only arena left in the NBA that has all its history intact. Quick and Loan Arena. In a few years, it could be called, you know, another bank arena. Yeah. I walked that fucking broom right to the court. Clay Thompson made eye contact with me, and I could tell he was like, what the fuck are you doing? All right. Game four, the announcer at Quicken Loans Arena, this is a fact, look it up, said there will be no brooms allowed in the arena. Oh, you see? That's sucker shit. There will be no brooms allowed in the arena. Well, they were up three games to zero. Yeah. If they had won game four, that's called a sweep. We need to clean this shit hole up. Obviously, they went on to win in game five. I was at that game at Oracle, and all the fans, the gracious fans, passionate fans at Oracle, the Warriors fans, they all said to me, where's the fucking broom? I said, I left it at home, but I got the plunger, you fucks. <laughs> That's up for consideration. <laughs> Con consideration. <laughs> Um, we had the inaugural season of the big three. That was so Beautiful. much fun. Beautiful. That was so much fun. Word. Um, obviously Kevin Durant, MVP finals, got to be considered as the, uh, sportsman of the year. LeBron James got to be considered as a sportsman of the year for his tweets towards Donald Trump when he said, you bum you. <laughs> Listen, you could say what you want to say about LeBron James, but the facts that he talks so much shit and he's so outspoken, got to consider him a sportsman of the year. And I was jealous. I'm a notorious shit talker. I was jealous that I didn't call Donald Trump, you bum you myself. <laughs> right. Um, Antonio Cromartie, guest of the I Am Rapport Stereo podcast, just had his 14th kid bust right through the vasectomy. Now, I said it then, and I'll say it now. Immediately, that's got to be considered Sportsman of the Year. Oh, yeah. 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 That's medical. He fucking, yo, he he did some shit, man. That's unprecedented. They they snipped you, and your sperm said, fuck that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Has a beautiful family. Great interview right here on the I Am Rapport Stereo Podcast. I mean, the Anchorage, Alaska sled dogs that tested positive for PEDs. Uh, Remember the Anchorage, Alaska sled dogs that were on that shit? Yeah. They, they, yeah. You're trying to win the race, man. Who, who, who thought they would test the dogs? You know what I'm saying? I, I, I don't fault those guys. You're trying to win the race. Yo, who, who, who think they're gonna, the dogs are going to be tested? I agree. <laughs> Let them dogs run. Yeah. Patrick Ewing finally got a head coaching job at Georgetown. Resigned emphatically from the Charlotte Hornets immediately. He said, fuck you, Michael Jordan. The gig yep. is up. You're not going to keep placating me with these bullshit jobs. 
There's so many incidents. Daryl Strawberry, we just anointed him into the Stickman Hall of Fame. The man admitted to, to skeeting in between innings while he played for the New York Mets. Yo, the fact that this guy had the, the, the stamina to freak off in between innings when he played for the New York Mets and then go back out there, run the bases, catch fly balls, hit home runs, got to be considered sportsman of the year. Yeah, in between innings. What, what if there's three and out? I, I, I mean, damn, that's like a sexual maniac. Yeah, he's on. <laughs> <laughs> you can't wait. I mean, look, there's been so many different outstanding performances by different sportsmen of the year. And before we give the actual sportsman of the year, I have to say, Monetti. Yo. The sporting event of the year, in my opinion, was the Mayweather-McGregor fight. And, I, and the reason why I say it's the sporting event of the year is because obviously it wasn't the best fight ever, but as far as what the expectations of it were, the showmanship of it, the circus element of it, and living up to a great night, it did. Yes. You yes. know, Mayweather kicked McGregor's ass easily, but the fact that it was so built up and it was so promoted and there was so much shit talking and the fact that it took the nine rounds and that there was some drama involved and although Mayweather was in control of the whole fight and I was there, that to me is the sporting event of the year for the 2017 I Am Rappaport Stereo Podcast. Because, listen, the NBA Finals were, were, were more exciting. The NBA Finals were more of a, a mainstream thing. But as far as the I Am Rappaport Stereo podcast, the amount of racial attacks, the amount of scrutiny that me publicly supporting and wanting Floyd Mayweather caused and inspired the Mayweather-McGregor fight Monetti. Yeah. Not only did it, that was the reason why we created the now infamous worldwide famous shame game that I do with the young shooter. Yeah. That's Motherfuckers were so vile, so offensive, so bent out of shape that I wanted Mayweather to kick McGregor's ass. Yeah. And motherfuckers were so offended. So bent out of shape that my response with the now infamous Moody Beats, the bagpipes beep, we made a theme song, and I believe you titled it Go the Fuck Home, G Monetti? Yeah, yes. Now, yeah, now go the fuck home. Now go the fuck home. Now, listen, this is an all new I Am Rappaport stereo podcast. Unlike some of our other friends in the podcast world, we came with all new heat. On this year-end episode. But because it was the sporting event of the year, Miles and Jordan, please play the Go the Fuck Home Bagpipes Please rant after the Mayweather-McGregor fight. Yo, let me tell you something. There's no participation trophy. What? All right. 
like, oh, he fought with courage. I don't give a fuck. They said, oh, well, he hit him once. He's getting paid $200 million. He should hit him once. He hit him once. If, 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 you, pay, if you get paid $150 million or whatever the fuck Conor McGregor got paid, you damn right better hit him once. Oh, he's so tough he didn't go down. That's because the ref saved his fucking ass. Yeah. He was about to be knocked out of the ring. Knocked the fuck out of the ring by a guy who's 25 pounds lighter than him. Oh, it was an early stoppage. Oh, you know, Connor fought with courage and fuck that. The word. He got his ass kicked. How he got about his that? ass kicked. Some people were saying, oh, well, why, why is this going to count for Floyd's 50-0 and 0 record? Let me tell you oh. something. If Floyd Mayweather oh. lost, you damn well be sure that the one loss would have counted. Yeah, everything to discredit. Everything to to belittle a guy who has never lost. He's never they, they lost. Can't. So yes, the one win counts. He's fifty and zero. Keep those fucking bagpipes going. And the white privilege was in effect. The white privilege was in effect because you know damn well if Floyd was gonna get his ass kicked and Floyd was in trouble the way Connor was in trouble. They wouldn't have stopped it so early. They would have let him get fucking kicked up and down the aisle. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, they don't want him to fly out of that ring. They say, oh, well, Connor made $100 million. You think he cares? Yes, he fucking cares. So now, now you Irish, uh, now you, you Connor McGregor fans. So, so your fighter with all the heart and the courage, he's only doing it for the money? Make up your mind. <laughs> of course he cares that he lost. Of course he cares that he woke up with half his fucking face swollen this morning. Yeah. From that little guy? From that little guy with his little head and his little hands? Take your fucking lucky charms. Take your fucking Guinness stout. <laughs> and take the fucking bus back to Ireland. <laughs> Let the horns play. Right, word. Let the horns play. I mean, the music, the ranting, the raving, and the fact that people on Twitter were calling me an N-word lover, you Dang. fucking race traitor, you fucking race baiter, you hate being white, you love oh. black cock. I mean, the oh. most vile shit. It's always percolating underneath. <laughs> That's always there. This is how these motherfuckers feel. And most Sick black animals. people know it. We're very clear on Mayweather's out-of-the-ring stuff. I made it public. I was rooting for Mayweather. I was rooting for the boxer. This ain't Rocky Nine, motherfucker. Yeah. They had their drums. They had their mu uh, music, everything. They were really, this was a really big thing. This is like Jack Johnson and Jim Jeffries. It's like that type of shit. You, thought that, you <laughs> thought that that fucking clown was going to beat the best boxer in the world? He was 25 pounds heavier, 10 years younger. He's so lucky that the referee stopped the fight and didn't get him knocked the fuck out of the ring. We needed that imagery to shut these guys up. But, but Dana White, Floyd Mayweather, Conor McGregor, and all the people involved, they saved Conor McGregor. They saved him from that imagery. Because as great of a career that Manny Pacquiao has... 
The image of him being knocked out cold. Sleeping on the canvas. And McGregor was five seconds away from getting knocked the fuck out of the ring. They did a disservice. They did him a service, and they did a disservice to the fans so they could finally say, shut the fuck up. Yeah, because if Mayweather was on the verge of being knocked out of the ring, guarantee you they would let that shit go. (laughs) Trust me. If McGregor was going to knock out Mayweather out of the ring, they would have let it go until he was fucking beaten to a pulp. Yeah, McGregor could have actually went outside the ring and beat his ass some more. Absolutely. They would have let the fans stomp him. Yeah. <laughs> the Mayweather-McGregor fight also inspired the now infamous Conor McGregor Sr. Liam McGregor skit that me and Dean Collins, a young shooter, created. People were pissed. Really? Oh, my God. The Conor McGregor Sr. shit, Gerald. I didn't know. I didn't know Yo, any of this. You don't understand. Motherfuckers are so offended. Man, that's great comedy. Great I, I, I don't, comedy. I don't know. I don't know what what these people are talking about. Sick animals. <laughs> Sick animals. So the Mayweather McGregor fight, in my opinion, 2017, for all that it gave us, all that it gave us at the I Am Rapport Stereo Podcast. Again. It inspired the shame game. It inspired McGregor Sr. and his fictional younger brother, Liam McGregor, that people take seriously and get offended by. And the great content that it gave us online, the great episodes of the I Am Rapport Stereo podcast, that is the I Am Rapport sporting event of the year. And now I have to say, now I have to say, there's no more waiting, no more delays. Who the 2017 I Am Rappaport Stereo Podcast Sportsman of the Year yep. is. All these guys, great, great performances, great work all season. So much went down. 2017 year in sports. But there could be only one Sportsman of the Year. <laughs> one. The 2017 I Am Rappaport Stereo Podcast Sportsman of the Year is Chris Forrester. A lot of you at home are saying, who? Chris Forrester. Motherfucking Chris Forrester, the offensive line coach of the Miami Dolphins. Snorting that good booger sugar. Oh, yeah. This is terrible. Talking that shit. To his stripper boo before a meeting with the Miami Dolphins. You, my friend, oh, man. have everything it takes to be the I Am Rappaport Stereo Podcast Sportsman of the Year. Congratulations, Chris Forrester, former offensive line coach of the Miami Dolphins. If you forgot this incident, Miles, just give me a little clip of him talking that shit. To his boo, right before a meeting with the NFL. Hey, babe, miss you. Thinking about you. How about me going to a meeting and doing this before I go? There's those big grains falling, but I miss you. I miss you a lot. 
gonna be a while before we can do this again. Cause I know you're gonna keep that baby. But I think about you when I do it. I think about how much I miss you, how high we got together, how much fun it was. So much fun. The last little bit before I go to my meeting. Is that fucked up yet? You think? I think not. I wish I was looking this. Yo, you can't give this guy no motherfucker. He's the goddamn. Who are we supposed to give it to? Tom Brady, no. Kevin DeBrant, LeBron James. He is the. He's our kind of guy. He's no, no. He's fucking <laughs> wild. The award is sent out. He's got the cup. He's got the trophy. I'm sorry, Gerald. Damn, yo, you're promoting <laughs> drug usage. You give a guy a award who's snorting in the fucking locker room. You're promoting drug usage with the award. I have to, the gentleman from Brooklyn have to rescind that war award. Sorry. I Chris do not Forrester, agree. <laughs> listen, I am out on a limb. If you want to come home and get an interview on the I Am Rapport Stereo Podcast to collect your award, <laughs> you are the wildest cowboy in the world of sports 2017. Miles, <laughs> let me get some funk. When we get right back, we are going to give the sick Fuck of the Year Award. All right, we're back. The controversial Sportsman of the Year Award has been given out. Listen, if you want to file a complaint, you know where to find us. I am Rappaport Podcast at gmail.com. You know where to find me and Monetti and the Dust Brothers on Twitter. Instagram, social media. Uh, now we're going to get right to it. The I Am Rapport Stereo Podcast 2017 Sick Fuck of the Year Award. This award is earned, not given. It's called the Sick Fuck of the Week. This guy's really sick. Lock him up. How could you do it? Don't let him out. Damn. You fucked the dog? You what? You fucked the dog? Why would you fuck the dog? Why would you fuck your girlfriend's dog? The sick fuck of the week. It's earned. Earned. Not given. You did. What? No. 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 no! Monetti, please state one more time. You do not know who the winner is. Nah, I'm looking forward to hearing this shit because there's, there's, there's some doozies out there, man. All right. I mean, there were so many contenders. We had Patricia Ann Spain. 44 years old, and her daughter, Misty Spain from Oklahoma, who were estranged and then got married. True sick fucks. We had in South Carolina, at the Harris Teeter supermarket, a former disgruntled employer was arrested for spraying brown diarrhea juice on the produce. (laughs) I mean... These are some of the definitions of true sick fucks. 2017 was, I mean, some of the sickest fucks I've ever heard of. Yeah. Yeah, no doubt. We had the German man who got his dick stuck in a five-pound dumbbell and had to be rescued by the firefighters. That guy won the sick fuck slash dumb fuck of the week that week. Uh, Yeah. We had Cedric... Chelks of Florida sat on his gun and blew his loaf off. (laughs) 
Remember him? Yeah, geez, man. Cedric Jelks, he was on probation. Now he's going to jail for having an unlicensed gun, and he has half a dick. Sorry, my friend. Man. Sorry. FML, FML, FML. There was the 27-year-old man in Jackson County, Oregon, who was arrested and accused of sexually assaulting a chicken. Sexually assaulting a chicken. Public indecency, menacing, disorderly conduct for trying to arouse and gratify the goddamn chicken. Leave that chicken alone, man. Yeah. Damn. Rupert Harris, 53-year-old dude from Austin, Texas, tried to lure a female pit bull into a backyard to sexually assault it with bacon and tried to fuck the pit bull but got his loaf bitten clean off. Good for you, you sick fuck you. That's what the that's dog harassment, and that's what they do. They'll bite your shit off. Good for you. There was the daycare workers in Jersey who created the fight club for four and five-year-olds. Remember these lunatics? <laughs> we had the two brothers in Naptown in Indianapolis who were kissing the Bats brothers. Brothers, imagine yep. you and Dean Moody caught in a fucking dumpster. Oh, don't say no shit like that. I'm just saying this. How you got to think how nuts these? Not, not, <laughs> not listen. You want to be gay? I don't care what you are. You want to make out in a dumpster? Okay, cool. You're making out in a dumpster with your brother. Can't you guys find somebody else to do this shit with? I mean, you got to be on some shit. Yeah, you got to be a brain altering. It alters chemistry. So you begin to look at your own brother as something that you could bag. (laughs) They were naked by a dumpster. They then punched a woman in the face, broke into cars, and continued making out. They just couldn't keep their hands off each other. The bat shit crazy brothers. Yeah. That's what they're, the Bats brothers. That's their names. B-A-T-Z. In San Salvador, this took a, a, a lot out of a lot of people. In San Salvador, in the National Zoo in San Salvador, remember Gustafito, the killing yeah. of the innocent hippopotamus. Gustafito yeah. is now considered a national treasure. That was sad. They still haven't they, they still haven't brought the killers to justice. Terrible. Justice for Gustafito. That really that was that was hard to, to deal with. <laughs> the two gay gentlemen in Clifton, New Jersey, who had sex, who had sex on a bed display at Bed, Bath, and Beyond. They were <laughs> in a bed, bath, and beyond and started freaking off. Oh, the whole area had to be fumigated because one of these animals had crabs. Oh, oh, it just keeps getting. How, how, how did you pick it? <laughs> Listen, G, how did you pick the winner? Look at this. How are you going to fuck somebody? Yeah, never mind. Go ahead, man. <laughs> Listen, I, I haven't slept in four days trying to figure out who should be the winner. The amount of the amount of thinking, thought, the number crunching, the fact checking, the verification. I had to fact check against my own will to give this award out because you see how competitive it is. 
Yeah. <laughs> I the don't know how you did The 17 year old girl who tried to sexually assault, force a guy to have sex with her at knife point? How are you going to perform when you got a knife at your throat? <laughs> I, I'd been like, you don't need that knife, baby. If you put the knife down, I could make it happen. With the knife there, I, I got nothing for you. Yeah. Clifford Ray of Detroit, Michigan, RIP. RIP. This dumb, sick fuck was watching porn on his phone while driving, climaxed, lost control of his car, crashed the car, and died. Clifford Ray, RIP. You went out with a bang. He didn't even get to experience the full orgasm. <laughs> Skeet, 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 skeet. <laughs> Michael Rappaport of Baldwin, New York. Remember Michael Rappaport of Baldwin, New York? Yes, yes. This guy's a two to three time loser. There's an actual guy named Michael Rappaport. Same spelling as I have. Baldwin, New York and Long Island. Arrested for selling heroin and crack. Two years prior Arrested for using counterfeit $20 bills. You might say, well, that's not that sick. The fact that his name is Michael Rappaport is sick enough. Uh I got enough problems on my own. I don't need some fucking other Michael Rappaport getting me mixed up in this shit. Right. Sky Samuel from Columbus, Mississippi, working at the drive-thru. Remember this? Yes. Put her spit and her menstruation blood on cheeseburgers. Yo. 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 Yo, Always be nice. Always be nice to those people. (laughs) Sky Samuel from Columbus, Mississippi. You, my friend, are a sick fuck. Yeah. Okay? You, my friend, are a sick fuck. And I want to tell you, you came in third place. You got the fucking bronze medal. (laughs) Congratulations, Sky Samuel. Bradley Hubert of Pensacola, Florida was accused of having sex with a pit bull for three years straight. Oh. Three years with one dog. I don't know what it's about these dogs, man. I don't know. They're attractive to some people. I don't know. The silver medalist, the second place winner for the sick fuck of the year, Timothy Blake of Marietta, Georgia, who was choking his chicken in a parking lot, put his skeet in a syringe, and then squirted it on a woman in the store. (laughs) Oh, horrific. I'd be horrified. (laughs) Uh, I don't know what I would do. (laughs) I don't know. I don't know how you bounce back from that. That's the second place winner. None of these guys... I mean, we had Harvey Weinstein, we had Donald Trump, we had fucking Kevin Spade, we had one sick fuck after the other sick fuck, after the other sick fuck, after another sick fuck. But the sole winner, and I knew this guy was the winner when I brought him to the people's attention a couple of months ago, the veterinarian named Dr. James Thompson, who sexually assaulted 300 dogs. The the veterinarian, where you go to bring your dog, your animal, when they're sick, 
when the owner of the pet is vulnerable. Yeah. You bring your dog to the vet, and Dr. James Thompson was having sexual relationships with up to 300 dogs and was filmed with 19 of them. Give me the sick fuck of the year award music. Oh, man. Dr. James Thompson, you are the sickest of all the sick. 2017 sick fucks of the week. Consequently, Dr. James Thompson, you are the sick fuck of the year. Moody. I'm sorry that you had to find out with the rest of the listeners. Obviously, you, you had some... Some some questions and some feedback on the sportsman of the year. Are we in agreement that Dr. James Thompson is the 2017 sick fuck of the year? Undoubtedly, absolutely. This guy, you bring your dog in there, you can't go in there to the room where he's examining and he's wearing out your dog and oh. you have no idea when you get home. And then this guy, yo, man, he's sick, man. He should be uh, uh, committed. There you have it, folks. When we come back, we are going to talk to the six-time world champion in four different weight classes. Yo, this guy's an icon. This guy's a Hall of Fame boxer, Hall of Fame athlete, one of the greatest fighters, one of the greatest shit talkers of all times. When we come back, Pensacola is really in the house. Roy Jones Jr. Stay with me. Picola. Pensacola in the motherfucking house? All day long. Ha! Roy, it's Mike Rappaport. How you doing, man? I'm, I'm good, my brother. How you doing? I'm doing good, man. I'm doing good. What's going on with you? I'm just taking it easy, doing my thing. You know how that go. Um. All right, well, I want to talk to you about a bunch of stuff. But, you know, one of the things that uh, people seem to forget, uh, I, and I never forgot it, is is how big of a basketball fan you are. I remember That's when you exactly played right. in, a, in, a, in a game... Uh, the same day as a fight. So, so, yep. uh, uh, what do you? What is your take on the NBA this season? Like, who's your team? Who's yep. your players? Where's your head at with the NBA right now, champ? Yo, this is an extraordinary season. Um, my team right now. I don't really have a full team, but what I really realize or feel, feel like is that I don't feel like no, no team gonna complete the beat Golden State yet. Yet I do feel like OKC can give them a run if they stay together and keep playing uh, unselfish basketball and they take advantage of whoever is on that particular night, they learn how to do that, they can give them a run for their money because they do have a real legitimate big three as well. And um, right now, you know, it's like the Greek freak is just unbelievable, okay? Mm-hmm. He's unbelievable. Um, Kyrie Irving is unbelievable. Damian Lillard is definitely one of my favorite point guards. He and um, McCullum are probably one of the best backcourts in the NBA right now. Uh, ben Simmons and Jordan B are really making some headway right now. Yep. People are hard on, uh, on uh, Alonzo Ball because of he's really living down the reputation that the dad has put up out in front of him. He's really got to he, he has to grow through that first, and that's what people don't understand. So he's not the normal uh, situation for a rookie. He's a rookie whose father put him in a real bad situation coming into the league. Well, what is your take on that, Roy? Because, you know, when you talk shit, 
you were obviously the one that had to back it up. You, you know, in, right. in, in your prime of, of being a fighter, it's like fighting's very simple. You talk shit, you either back it up or you get your ass beat. Uh, uh, you know, there's no sort of in between. There's no, there's no guiding. There's no middle room. Um, you know, the the one fighter um, from Philly, um, young fighter. His father talks a lot of shit. What's the kid's name? The Philly fighter, light skinned kid. Danny, Danny Garcia. Danny Garcia. Now his yeah. father did that, but not to the the levels of of Lonzo Ball. No. Uh, wh- no. Wh- what is your take on that? Just in terms of. Forget what like what you just said, because in my opinion, I agree with you. Like his father put such an X on his back. There's no room to breathe. If he does right. something good, it's highlighted. If he does something right. bad, it's highlighted. Uh, right. I, I personally think, you know, he should have he should have stepped away uh, uh, after well, he got drafted after, because it, yeah, it, it, after he got after he got after he got drafted, he should have backed all the way off and left a long counter because you already put him in a bad situation. But but to the other side, you got to look at that as a two headed sword. Because without all the talking about it, maybe he wouldn't even got drafted as high as he did. I agree. So all the talk got him where you got. You got him what you wanted, which was a beautiful and brilliant thing. At that point, I think you should have backed back and said, you know what? I'm sorry for anything that I've said that may have been disrespectful to anyone. I was just trying to make sure my son got drafted and got an opportunity. He has that now, so I'm just going to be cool and let it go. He It's on him now. He got to take it and go where he got to go. That would have made people back off and give him a fair chance to be a rookie. But because he kept on going, it made it really, really tough. And that's why this kid is having such a hard time night in night. Not that he's having a hard time. It's just that everything is getting super magnified that he does because of that. Not that his dad did a crazy thing because it got him drafted. So it's a two-headed sword. I have a son that plays basketball in high school right Mm. now. My son is okay. He's really, he, to me, he's really good, but I would never say that because he's undersized. Mm-hmm. So I don't go out and tell people, oh, my son, the best thing. No, I can't do that because my son is not 6'6". So I can't say that for him because he has a hard enough hold to climb to try to get out of already because he's only 5'10". Right. And being that, that you're 5'10", you know, everybody's against you already. So I don't say much because I don't want to make people go out there and target him because his job is already hard enough. You know, you're 5'10", it's going to be impossible then almost for you to get a shot as it is. I so agree. if you can get a shot, you got to take advantage of it. But I don't want to try to talk you into a shot because if you fall short on any level, they're going to say, oh, he, he, you know, he, he, he's Roy Jones the third. But look at him, he, 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 he's going to put too much pressure on him. So it's a chance you could take, but he ain't tall enough to me for me to go out there and talk that kind of crap on his behalf. Now, he probably wouldn't mind because just like Lonzo, he do everything he can to try to back up what his dad said. Mm. And it's the same for Lonzo, which is, at the same time, got a lot of pressure on you because this is the NBA that we're talking about. This ain't so college or high school. This is the NBA. Mm. So it's very difficult to keep that kind of pressure on him. But I know Alonzo's going to be fine because he is as good as his father says he is. And he is as a free of a player as his father says he is. He just has to get over that hump that his father has created for him by saying, it, saying so much. Because now because you say much, much is expected. So everybody's going to watch you with a fine pen. You feel me? So he's going to be fine. Who was your, if you were making a, a Roy Jones' favorite five basketball players, I'll give you a six man of all time, any positions, just your six favorite basketball players, your starting five and, and your six man, who would be Roy Jones' starting five? Michael Jordan, Allen Iverson, Kobe Bryant, um, Ooh, the next three get real tough. Mm-hmm. Um, because of position, because of position, I would probably go with Hakeem Olajuwon. Mm. And um, you need some sort of power forward in there. 
Yeah, I said that's what that's that that power forward probably had to be either it could be three, it could be KD, Carmelo, or LeBron James. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, either one. And what is what is your take on LeBron? Because he's an athlete, you know, uh that's scrutinized. Uh, you know, he's never gonna live up to the expectations uh, uh of of is he like Mike? Is he not like Mike? I like to break his balls because I don't think he's like Mike. Obviously, he's the yeah. closest thing that we'll ever have to, you know, accomplishing everything like that. And it, and it, and some people think you know he's accomplished more. What is your take on LeBron? LeBron James is the best physical specimen that we yeah. have ever seen in a basketball uniform. Okay, compare him to Co- to Michael Jordan is not fair. Mm. Kobe was the closest thing we've been seeing to Michael Jordan in a long time. Okay. Mm-hmm. The difference is Michael Jordan's a great player, yet so is Magic Johnson. Mm-hmm. So if you want to say the truth, LeBron James is more like the new image, new age Magic Johnson than he is the new age Michael Jordan. Right. You understand me? I agree. Because he can play all five positions. Yeah. So he's not the new age Michael Jordan. He would never be on the same plateau. You can't put him on the same piece of paper and compare him to a Kobe and Mike type player because he's not that guy. Mm-hmm. He's more of a Magic Johnson type player who you can put him at the one and he'll make any team you put around him better if you play him at the one. Why we trying to play him at the two? Why we trying to play him at the three? Makes no sense at all to me. All that is a waste of time. Why we got him out there playing with Kyrie Irving? Why we worry about what Isaiah Thomas going to do? None of that makes a difference. He's not that dude. Mm-hmm. He's a six foot eight Magic Johnson I agree. Okay, I agree. that's what you got to get. So if you start putting <laughs> him in the box he belongs in, then you can give him a fair assessment. People don't put him in the box he belongs in, therefore they don't give him a fair assessment. I agree. But do, don't you think some of that is is on him, though, in terms of he wore the number 23? And and I, I, I you know, I guess it's... No, I mean, if that's your idol, you're going to wear what your idol wears. Uh, no, it's not on him. Right. That's your idol. Of right. course, who don't want to wear Michael Jordan's number? I mean, I was Muhammad Ali was my idol, but I didn't turn a pro thing. I was going to be heavyweight champ of the world, but he was my idol, so I'm going to talk my junk. I'm going to do what I thought my idol did. But I wasn't a Muslim, and I wasn't going to be, you know, heavyweight champ of the world, I didn't think. However, I got God blessed with the opportunity to have him, but that wasn't what my plan was. I just thought, well, hey, I'm going to do a little bit of what Ali did because he's my idol, so I'm going to talk some junk too. Now, you were rocking the Jordan brand. <laughs> Uh, I don't know if you're still rocking Jordan, but you know, in in your prime, you were rocking Jordan. You were a Jordan brand athlete. What, what, give me a Michael Jordan story. I mean, you're you're great. He's great. What what is Michael Jordan really like? What, give me a Michael Jordan story. Well, I don't really have a lot of Michael Jordan story, but to me, Michael Jordan is like the greatest athlete to ever grace the game of basketball. And the reason I say that is because Michael Jordan does not, and his prime did not believe no player could match him on the basketball court when it came to that time to play. Whether it was crunch time, whether it was lunch time, huh. nobody could match him on the basketball court when it came time to play. And that's what a real prime time Michael Jordan is to me. So when you talk to Michael about basketball, whether y'all in passing, whether y'all in at a meeting, it don't matter. If you speak basketball to Michael Jordan, to his, in his eyes, you lost before the conversation started. Right. And that's what I think of Michael Jordan is. That's, my, that's who Michael Jordan uh, reflects to me. He's the type of guy that he thinks on the basketball court, you have no chance whether you're talking, walking, whether you're six foot eight, six foot 18, or five foot eight, or five foot 18. He don't give a damn. Mm. If you come on that basketball court, your ass is in trouble. And that's how I felt when you stepped in the boxing ring. I didn't give a damn. You were 16, 5'10. 14, you come that way with me, you you are in, your ass is in trouble. And that's what I feel like about Michael Jordan. And that's the difference in Michael Jordan and 
the Michael Jordan Kobe type mentality and the LeBron mentality. I mean, LeBron kind of feel like they're two in a sense, but LeBron's different because he was more of a facilitator and get a go getter with the time. But you know, he has more. He has like a, a few different variations to his game. He knows how to get the guy in, in position that can hit the shot, and he thinks there's another guy that probably is better off to hit the shot sometimes than he is. All depending on what the position is, and Mike thinks that at times too. But if Kobe and Mike can, in the kind of way, see a way for them to take the shot, they're going to take it. Um, I like this, Roy, because I, I know I always know how much you love basketball. All right. Yeah. One of the things you also love, and, and I'm sure you still love it, is hip-hop. You, you, you were yep. one of the first dudes, uh, uh, you know, athletes uh, to put out a record. Your, your rhyme flow, you had your Florida, you had your Pensacola flow. Uh when you put yourself up against other athletes, we have the Shaq. Now we have you mentioned Dame Dollar, Dame Lillard. He's got a nice flow. We, Kobe put out a record. Uh, Lonzo Ball put out some trash ass records. You know we've had the good, the bad, and everything in between. <laughs> Deion Sanders had a great Santa. Must be the money that's turning you on. Where do you rate yourself as one of the athletes slash rappers? Keep it real, Roy. Who? Athlete slash rapper still has a record going today. Mm. Whose song you still hear getting played right now today? All the people you just said, which one of them got a song that you hear right now today still? Only, only Roy Jones Jr. Only, <laughs> only, only, only Roy Jones Jr. But let me give you a little secret because I know you love basketball. Let me give you a little secret. Let me feel you on one little secret that you don't know yet. You know who else can flow like him? Who? Marvin Bagley the third. Oh, the freaking listen, the freaking truth, the freaking truth. We working on working on a song right now. The Duke rookie yo, who's probably yes, gonna go pro sir. right away. Yo, yes sir. You talking about the truth? Can freaking do it? Me and him working on a song right now. The boy is the truth behind the mic. Trust me. Where, what what kind it. of flow? How would you compare yo, his flow? Uh, I don't know who I really compare him to. Um, it's hard to say who I really could compare him to because I only heard a couple of his songs. I'm going to have to hear him a little bit more first, but let me just tell you the truth. Don't be shocked when you hear it because the boy is the truth. And honestly, he may be the one that comes along and is better than me at it. It's just a matter of whether he's going to be able to create songs mm. that are that are going to be able to have that everlasting feel to him like I did. But I, as I far as you. flow... The boy can absolutely do it. You okay. hear me? And when I tell you that, you know I know what I'm talking about because you know I know hip-hop. Right? No doubt, Roy. Yo, boy, that's good. That's a good That's can, a tip listen, right there. Listen, the boy can absolutely do it. Trust what I tell you. I, I, yo, listen, I'm not going to argue with you. I, I, I respect yeah. it. I and respect so, the well, insight. And what, I'm trying, and what I'm trying to do right now, I'm trying to actually get a song lined up because he don't know it either because he's in the season. So I don't really bother him while he's in the season a lot. But uh, he has started working on the first time. He got a lot of it done, actually. I showed it to some guys yesterday. But I'm trying to get a song now for me, him, and Dane Dollar to do. Because I love Dane Dollar as a player, too. And I know that for these guys, they don't have a lot of time to spend going right. around looking for studios. And stuff. So if I get it lined up for them and just give them a place to put the verse on it at, most of the work is done for them already. Mm. You feel me? I, so yo, that's what I'm trying to do next. How did you hook up with him? I, you know, I've seen him play online, and I saw his I first met him, I met him. I met him last year. Me and his dad talked to me. Him talked to me. told me about what was funny was, they were even talking about how much they still jam y'all must have forgot to mm. this day. So I told him, I said, you know what's coincidentally is that I'm working on another y'all must have forgot. He said, yo, let me drop a 16 on there. Mm. I said, for real? He said, yeah. I said, okay, I'm going to send it to you. So I'll send it to him, not knowing was he really going to do it. And I thought he just pulling my leg, right? Man, that dude sent me about eight bars back that he already did. I was like, well, holy cow. I could not believe it. All right. Who are the obligatory hip-hop question. Let's do all living rappers. 
Roy Jones, five. So, so I want to exclude like anybody who's passed because I think it's unfair. Who are your five favorite, most influential rappers for you? Like, who are your five guys that that you love the most? And it could change. Uh, I know you don't want to leave everybody out, and I know you know a lot of people, so I don't want you to feel yeah. bad. Let's just say during yeah. this particular Listen, I Am Rapport Stereo no, podcast, no. Roy Jones, yeah, I'm top tell, five. I'm going to tell you my top five. It's hard to say, but here go my top five, all right? Spit. Number one, go, go be the Scarface, mm-hmm. Scarface, um, Method Man, mm-hmm. DMX, Eminem, mm-hmm. and um, it's probably a toss between, I don't know, I don't know that fearful. It's going to be a toss up that fearful because there's a lot of the guys that I really, really like a lot. That's my, that's my fab four, I know. All right, fine, fair enough. I'm not going to press you, Roy. Yeah. I'm not going to yeah. press you. I, yeah, I, the last person go along with because, you know, I, I love L, I love uh, Roy DMC, I love um, Public Enemy, I love Fat Joe, I love a lot of people, you know what I'm saying? And it's like, it's just hard to say because there's a lot of them that can fit that fifth spot, you know? So. Got you. That's good that you said, Fat Joe. Didn't you guys have a little, a little, win- were, were you pissed off when he said so, he, even Roy Jones was taught to lean back or something like that? Yeah, yeah, because you know, when you when you friends with a guy, you don't expect the guy to come at you like that, you feel me? Right. And me and Joe, me and Joe was cool, so I'm like, yo, you going to do that to me and I'm your boy? Well, come on, bro. Really? That's, that's, we don't do it. That's, that's, that's like, to me, that's going against the code. No, right. we don't do that like that. So that's, yeah, he did get me pissed off at first, but you know, it's cool. We, we squashed it. We handled it. You know, he understood where I was coming from. And I understood what he was doing. You no, know, it, it was just music, but still, you know, you boy, you can't do your boy like that. You feel me? That's, 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 that's breaking the code. You no, feel I, me? I, so it's like, we get, we grow up. We understand. You know, everybody make mistakes here and there. You forgive, you move on. We are human. Absolutely. Absolutely. And you guys yeah. are both good guys. And I'm friends with both of you guys. Cause I remember yeah. I heard about that and I was like, come on. I love both of these dudes. This is, yeah. this is silly. All right, Roy, this has been a crazy year uh, for boxing. Obviously the triple G Canelo fight was a great way to come out of the Floyd uh, McGregor fight. Uh, where is boxing at this year? Like for, for you, where, where do you stand on it? Yeah, let, let me give you, let me give you a little bit. Let me give these guys their credit too. No, the way to come out of the Florida fight was uh, War and Kovalev. That was yep. the perfect way to come out of because that was a big fight too. War yep. and Kovalev too. Then the Triple G Canelo fight was a way to keep it going even better. So boxing to me is at an all time high, and I'm gonna tell you why. We're making great fights. Promoters are coming together doing good things. Uh, there are a lot of Eastern European guys coming up now that couldn't turn pro before, but now they can. And as a result of that, and in the light heavyweight division, we have three Russian champions, basically, and one Canadian champion. When have you heard of that? Never. Secondly, we got one of the best fights to ever be made on paper, okay? These boys got almost a thousand amateur fights, and you probably can count the losses on two hands. Mm. You understand me? That's Lomachenko and Rickendow. These boys both have not one Two gold medals. Mm. When do you get a pro fight with two guys that both have two gold medals? It don't get no better than that. Mm-hmm. Not one, Doc. Not one. Two gold medals. One gold medal. You know what one gold medal was? One gold medal meant you got a Sugar Ray Leonard, a Howard Davis Jr., a Roy Jones Jr., a uh, 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 Muhammad Ali, a George Foreman, an Oscar De La Hoya, uh, uh, Andre Ward. That's one gold medal. No. We stand two. Mm. How can you get two guys with two gold medals? Come on, bruh. And they're going to fight as professionals for 12 rounds? Mm. Really? When do you make a better fight than that on TV? That, when? That, you tell me. No, you that, tell me when you, have to, when you see a better fight made than that on paper. That, that's going to be a good one. 
That's exactly right. And what what was your takeaway of of uh, the Canelo Triple G fight? In my opinion, and and listen, I'm just a fan, Roy. Cause I know what I know, and I know what I don't know. Yeah. Me yeah. personally, I would have liked to yeah. have seen that been a draw. What what was your takeaway? No, now you as a fan said the same thing I said. And let me tell you why I say that. Don't get me wrong. I thought Triple G could have won a fight by a round or two. However, I still could see how some judges could have gave the fight to Canelo because he completely neutralized Triple G. He completely made Triple G change his game up because Triple G could not hit him with the big bomb that he's used to hitting people with. So Triple G was not the traditional, original, promised to be mm. Triple G that night. He made Triple G change his clothes, right? So I got to give him a little bit of credit for that because he also came up in weight and made Triple G change the clothes. Right. You understand me? So you got to give him, and that's why I say I was happy with the draw because, yeah, I do think Triple G won maybe one or two more rounds, but I'm happy with the draw because this kid came up and completely made him change his uniform. He had to go from being a brawling killer to somewhat a boxer who had to calm down and figure out another way to win this fight. And he didn't think he was going to do that. Nobody thought Canelo was going to be able to make him change and have to do that. But Canelo completely made him change. Mm. He deserves a little bit of credit for that, which is why I'm glad they called it a draw. Mm -hmm. Now in the second fight, we get to see what the real is going to be. What did you think of after like all the mess and takeaway and all the hoopla and the circus and, and everything that went up into the Floyd-McGregor uh, fight uh, what was your takeaway on that now that it's like four or five months after the fact? My takeaway was just as it was back then. First thing is, I thank God that somebody was able to capitalize on it. But basically, they took me and Anderson Silva's idea. But because both of us are black men, they weren't going to let me and him do it first. Mm -hmm. So because Conor McGregor came through and he was of a different nationality, of course, you know, and a different ethical, race, or ethical uh, background, they let the fight happen. But that was something me and Anderson Silva had been trying to do for eight years. And both of us were legends at our sports at the top you know what i mean we were at the top of the top so but because we're both somewhat considered dark we couldn't do it but when the immediate soon as mcgregor comes in they let him do it so i mean you know it's what it is but it's the life we live in today so and that's like i said a guy was asking about the kneeling of the football players yeah they understand the, the equality that's the, the racial equality that goes on in our country so they're trying to say hey y'all let's stand up we don't have to be like that and we really don't and i'm i've never been that guy to be that way that's why you know you never heard me really even say much about that because, I mean, hey, it's cool. If y'all want to do it that way, go ahead. I'm not that way, but I can't control how other people are. You understand me? So it's crazy, but it's what it is. So I never expected that Mayweather was going to struggle with McGregor at all because I don't know that McGregor ever been in a professional ring to have a professional boxing match. And anybody knows that even guys that have had thousands of pro boxing fights, I mean, I mean hundreds of pro boxing fights, amateur boxing fights, I mean, are not necessarily ready to go six rounds as a professional. That's why guys turn professional and they go four rounds then six rounds, then eight rounds, then 10 rounds, then 12, they build up to that. And I'm not talking one fight. They have a few fights at four rounds, a few fights at six rounds, a few fights at eight rounds, a few fights at 10 rounds, then a few fights, and then they go to 12 rounds. So you don't just come off the street, I don't care who you are, never been in a boxing match before and say, okay, I'm going to go 12 rounds. And not only am I going to go 12 rounds, but I'm going to go 12 rounds with the best fighter fighting today. Are you serious? Come on, bro. This is a real boxer. Are you serious? No. I had no nothing about that blew my mind. Nothing about that changed my ideas. Only reason I was willing to do it because I know Anderson has a thirteen and one or a thirteen and two record as a pro boxer. So I know he knows what it feels like and how it is to get in there and go to a round. I went to go ten or twelve rounds with a boxer, so he had an idea. But Connor has no idea. He never had a pro boxing match. 
So you knew right then he was out of his, he was out of his element. I mean, I take his, I take my hat off to him for having a heart, but for 30 million, who wouldn't have a heart to try to go in there and take a shot at <laughs> You feel me? So come on, bro. And you know, it's like, the only thing that I wish would have happened was they would have let him get knocked the fuck through the ropes and, and, and there wouldn't be any shadow of, of a doubt because it, it, it just is, to me, listen, I have my problems with Floyd, some of his bullshit, even his fighting style, but I was like, I'm a boxing fan. You're not going to come in here and disrespect the sport of boxing with all this. And that's why I rooted for Floyd. That's the only time I was like really hardcore uh, rooting for Floyd. Tell me about this online training uh, program you're involved with because I, I, I like this idea. It's athletes, celebrities, star vision. What is it? What are you doing? What can I learn? I need to get my ass in shape, Roy. Yeah. Well, star vision is the perfect thing for anybody who really wants to take their own time out in their own private place and learn how to box. I have real lessons, real life lessons that I'm teaching you that I can sit down with you myself. We got people like Jerry Rice, Robert Ory, uh, Dominic Wilkins, all types of people on there also helping to teach you things, help you work out and get yourself in shape. Things that we did at the top of our game to keep mm. us right. You know what I'm saying? And it's like, how could you, like nowadays, could you imagine back in the day if I could have went on uh, and found a workout that Muhammad Ali was doing or a workout mm. that Michael Jordan was doing and I could do the same thing? Could you imagine how mm. inspirational that would have been to me? I mean, mm. you can go get on and get and watch be able to watch every day with the best of the best doing what they did in their prime to make them the best. Can you imagine how fun that would have been for me? So now you can go on with me on Star Vision and you can do my workout, the workout I show you how to do. I can teach you how to throw the right hand. I can teach you how to throw the hook. I can teach you how to throw the jab. I can teach you how to mm. do it. And I don't teach you how to do it the traditional way. I teach you how to do it my way. That's dope. Yeah. And you personally, what do you do? Like, how much working out do you do? Like, just just for for your peace of mind, like, whatever. Like, what do you, after hours and hours and a lifetime in the gym, training, training for fights, training to get in the Olympics and all that stuff, what do you do to work out now? Like, what is your regimen and why do you work out? Well, I still work out because I realize it's a healthy way of life and it helps your life go better when you work out and get that blood flowing first thing in the morning. It makes your day go better. I also work out because I want to stay as healthy as I can stay. And I always want to be capable of doing the things that I love to do in life. And one of the mm -hmm. things, as you said, I love to do is to play basketball. And so I play basketball probably four or five times a week if possible. And to, okay. do, that, to do that, I have to keep my body in shape or I won't be able to play because you know I'm a competitor. And a competitor wants to do what? I want to win. Right. So I go right. to Pensacola, Pensacola Naval Air Station every day. And these kids are just coming into the Navy. They're young kids. From 18 to, you know, 25 at one gym, they the young guys that just got into the Navy, they want to win. So I have to go in with the mentality that, hey, not only do they want to win, they want to send the picture back home and say, hey, Dad, guess who I just beat <laughs> in basketball? I just beat Roy Jones. No, here you didn't. Roy Jones didn't punish you what you might get. So I can't let myself go because I know that they come in to build a reputation off Roy. You understand me? So I love it, and I think I got to send a shout to Pensacola NAS because I don't have no problems getting on and, Going out and competing with the with the, uh, uh, the the enlisted soldiers and the naval kids, and it's so fun because you get naval guys, you get marines, you get all types of guys out there, and these guys remember me for life. You know, they they remember their meetings, they remember our talks, our conversations. They come back sometime twenty years later and show me pictures that we took That's ten or cool. twelve years ago. So it's like such a beautiful thing. But like I said, my thing with life and and, and, and people is that people are we have the most diverse skills of communication of any animal on the planet, yet we seem to have the hardest time communicating. Why is that? Mm. 
No, it makes sense, Roy. It makes sense. So n- none of these kids, when, you, when you're playing ball, I would imagine no one's popping shit to Roy Jones. No, or if they no, do, they're no. keeping it about basketball because yeah, no one wants it, that business. No, strictly about basketball because that's what we're out there for. We're not out there about boxing. I, I, you know, I did that. They know I do that. That's my, that's my life. That's my life. Don't play me with that. We don't do that. We got to have fun and draw something on the basketball court. And you can talk as much trash as you want because I love that. Well, that's what gets me going. I want you to talk trash with basketball court about basketball because that's what we do. <laughs> now, now, my, my final question is, I love Max Kellerman. I love Jim Lampley. But do you sometimes want to be like, listen, I will kick your fucking ass. Shut the fuck up. You guys, I'm the champ. <laughs> Stop talking. Don't don't disagree with me. Don't like or like like. Do you ever sometimes just want to be like both of you guys shut the fuck up? And they're both. Max is one of the best at what he does. Jim yep. is one of the best at what he what he does. The three of you together are fantastic. What is the dynamic between the three of you guys? Those two guys are the absolute most best guys to ever work with in life when it comes to commentary. Okay, they're so diverse. They're so good at what they do. And it's like there's no way that I would ever get let them get me to a point to where I want to fuss and fight about it. I argue <laughs> every night because because I know that I know and they know that I know. So mm-hmm. I argue and fuss with them just to straighten them out. But I would never get so angry that I want to hit one of them because I understand they're just giving their opinion and that's what they're paid for. Their job is to give their professional opinion. However, it's hard to argue with a guy who's been to a war and you've never been to one. So it's like I understand that their opinion counts. But their opinion is not more valuable than my opinion to the public because the public knows that I have been in there under the gun. I have been in there under attack. They know that I have been in there under the gun. They know that I have been in there under attack. I know the feeling. They don't. So they respect me and I try to respect them. I did your your favorite uh, rappers. I did your NBA team. Who's your top five Roy Jones favorite fighters of all time that you just... Like you bow down to your favorite guys that, that that you've gotten to watch over the years, or even Ma- maybe even fight against. Who's Roy Jones' Ma- top five fighters of all time? Muhammad in any Ali- order, no particular Mo- order. Muhammad Ali, Salvador Sanchez, Sugar Ray Robinson, Sugar Ray Leonard, and <laughs> Roberto Durant. All right, you know, I, I one thing I always love about all fighters, and it's weird because we talked about hip hop. You have some of these young kids, and and they'll sort of brag about not knowing. Biggie Small songs or not knowing Wu Tang songs, and 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 I, you know, you know, everybody puts on a, a face like they respect the game, respect the game in different sports. One thing about boxers is the majority of you guys all know and have studied the Sugar Ray Robertsons, the Joe Lewises, and they know the history and love and respect the history of boxing, and, and that's one of the things I, I love about all you guys and the sport. And I, I, I know you're a great champion for the sport of boxing, uh, uh, you know, above and beyond everything um, when it comes to, you know, you know who you are in the public. And, and Roy, I've been such a fan for so many, uh, so many years. I, I appreciate you coming on the I Am Rapport Stereo Podcast. Thank and I can't wait to get in shape on Star Vision. And um, you can find it at Instagram at Star Vision, S-T-A-R-V-I-Z-N. Twitter, S-T-A-R-V-I-Z-N. Roy Jones Jr., the champ. Listen, have a great year. Have a great holiday. And I'll talk to you soon, champ. All right. And along with that Star Vision, this body here, Banger Volume 2, is on the way out, too. So you'll be able to put that into some of the Star Vision stuff, and you're really going to get your work out there. Let's go, man. We need that fun. You know it. What's up, man? 
Royce, the almost seven footer. <laughs> How you doing, man? I'm all good, man. I'm just sitting here chilling, man. Where Where are you at? I'm out in London, Ontario. L- London, Ontario. That's Canada. Right. So, what league are you playing in up there? Uh, it's called the NBL. So it's just the National okay. Basketball League of Canada. Yeah. Okay. So, how's it going up there? You guys won the championship, right? Yeah, man. We had a we had a pretty historic season last year, man. We we went. Uh, I think it was forty six, forty seven, and six or something like that. So. Are you having a good time playing ball? Oh man, I'm loving it, man. Loving it. I was, you know, I didn't play for like three years, so just getting back and being able to play professionally, and then to be able to do it at that level, the first year back, basically my rookie pro season is like you can ask for nothing better than that. You know? So, so how old are you now? How old were you in your rookie pro season? Uh, I'm 26 now. I, I, I think I was drafted when I was 22. You know, going on 22. So. Shit, man. So you how come? So you didn't play for three years at all? Yeah, not. I mean, I didn't play. I, I did not play at all. I bounced around the D League a little bit. I was, uh, I was with Sacramento's D League team, and I played with Sacramento. And then I was uh, in the summer league with the Clippers uh, two summers ago. Uh, so you know, I, I bounced around a little bit, but I never really played more than a month with any team. So, can you, in a, in a nutshell, tell? people your story from when you got drafted and and everything that ensued to to, to get you to where you are now because you, your draft class you, you you were 16th pick right right correct yeah and your draft class was, was a dope draft class you're anthony davis bradley beal Dion waiters dame lillard andre drummond austin like you you're one of these dudes you must have come up with these dudes and played in all the the, the the high school tournaments and all this shit. So so right. break down what happened after you got drafted and how everything sort of got off the rails or got on the rails, however you want to look at it. Basically, when when I was 16, I was diagnosed with anxiety disorder. Um, I, I had smoked a little marijuana. It had triggered a panic attack. Uh, two or three months after that, I had had some ongoing panic attacks that were really severe. Uh, and, and then after those kind of died down or become, you know, became a little bit more under control. I was still having some general anxiety on a, on a daily, weekly basis. So, you know, finally, uh, I was diagnosed with generalized anxiety disorder. I started taking different medications and things like that and just learned what anxiety is and what mental illness is and what mental health is and, and how you can, you know, try and navigate that conundrum as, as being a, a fucking human being, right? So, uh, you know, that was all while I was still in high school and going into college. Um, so by the time I got to college, I was, I was doing well with it. You know, I wasn't having the same extreme symptoms that I was initially. So, um, you know, I had my season that I had at Iowa state and, uh, yeah, it was ready. It was time to go to the draft. Now during that season, Iowa state, I had had some success. Obviously, you know, I played really big against highly projected lottery picks, you know, Drummond, Jeremy Lamb at, Lamb at the time and all three of the the high draft picks that were on Kentucky's team and a few that were on Kansas's team and, you know, Michigan and Tim Hardaway Jr. was on that team. So, uh, you know, I had had a great season. And during that season, I had went public with my history with anxiety. And I had talked about how I was dealing with my anxiety playing. Like, for example, the whole conversation came about in an article with ESPN where I just happened to slip up and mention that I don't eat with the team or that I didn't eat with the team at a weight game. And that's how I kind of unraveled and, and people or the, the person who was writing the article found out, or, you know, learned that I had anxiety. So 
then the, the cat was out of the bag, so to speak, and that became the talk of not only the rest of my college career, but as I moved into the draft process, it became the talk of my draft projection and, and how, you know, the NBA sort of looked at mental health and, you know, Royce could go anywhere from the top five to the, the, the late second round because, you know, mental health is this unspoken topic for athletes and, and do, do GMs look at it as a, a character problem or do they look at it as a true, genuine medical issue, et cetera, et cetera. The talk was just, it was all over the spectrum, basically. So I gave my fucking answer. Honestly, I was like, look, I think mental health is, is a raging epidemic and we have really poor solutions and we, we have very poor acknowledgement and commitment to the issue. And I have some examples in my own life where that has been the case where I have been poorly acknowledging mental health because I'm fucking 16 and I don't know my fucking mouth or my ass, right? So, you know, that and, and those examples go on all across the age spectrum, all across the race spectrum, et cetera, et cetera. And, uh, you know, when I finally got, this was before I was even drafted, I was saying this shit. So you know that that was right. taken right out of the gate. Like, this guy has too much of an opinion anyway. All of these athletes, and this is a sort of side note, but all of these athletes are coached to not say much. So let me, let me back up your question. Are athletes sort of told to sort of chill and be a low profile? And the thing I've noticed about athletes, it takes them a long time to open up. Obviously, you guys talk to the press all the time. And the majority of the time, you're so young when you're doing it. And, but there's always this sort of distance between the fans, the press, and the athletes. It, you're, so you're saying like you guys are sort of coached to, to keep it that way? Uh, well, I think there's, it's twofold. There's a, a sort of implicit um, energy that you sort of pick up on as an athlete coming through the circuit, and now it's starting way younger, right? Players are starting to be introduced into the, the prepping of the professional market at, at, in the 7th and 8th grade, right? So right. Uh, there's nobody really saying things like you can't have an opinion or keep your opinions to yourself or, or don't be who you truly are or don't, or don't walk around with the integrity that you truly feel or, or, or don't behold to your morals. Nobody's saying that, but they're saying right. things like, they're saying things like, be careful what you do because everybody's always watching, right? And, and, right. and in that, there's an implicit suggestion that what you truly feel you should do or how you should act or what you should say may is always under, uh, has the possibility to hinder any of your goals. Right. So, I mean, that's how, that's, for me, that's what I got from it. Like, even, you know, even... As young as 15, I mean, just like, you you, you know, you named some of the people in my draft class, but the people that were in my graduating high school class, 09, like DeMarcus Cousins and John Wall and Lance Stevenson and DeMar DeRozan and, you know, Derek Favors, et cetera, et cetera. We were all at the first annual LeBron camp with Nike. And, and you know, big, I got big love for Nike. I played for a Nike high school and a Nike college uh, and a Nike AAU team for that matter. So I got big love for Nike. But even the, the commentary from the – the adults in those situations was always um, be careful for the superficial bullshit because just because it's superficial and fake doesn't mean that it won't bring your ass down. And mm -hmm. and in that, what you're telling the athletes, on, you know, in, a, in an implicit way is like, look, you may have a view on politics, you may have a view on 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 business or or or, or religious issues or whatever, but you better keep it to your fucking self because if you don't. There's nothing that says that you being right will keep you from being burned. Right. right. So. All right. So you got drafted by, by Houston. 
and I remember following you because you you had showed up in the tournament. You did your thing. Um, if you didn't follow college basketball uh, a lot that year, you were sort of the guy that emerged at a smaller school. Um, and then there was all that talk and and uh, about your your play. And then going up into the draft, there was all the talk about uh, the mental health issues. You being able to. And you being willing to fly, not fly with the team and all that stuff. So I want you to to, to articulate that because I, I don't want to put any words in your mouth with it. Yeah, I mean, there was a, you know, so I had also, you know, in my college, during the college career that, you know, at Iowa State or, or my year at Iowa State, after I disclosed my, you know, the fact that I had dealt with anxiety disorder, which is a general anxiety disorder. I had also explained to the reporter and to people that were asking, which is whoever was asking, which now looking back was one of those moments where I shouldn't have, well, where people would have suggested that I shouldn't have disclosed any of my truth, right? Because it had a, a hindering effect on my economics, right? Or my future mm-hmm. economic potential, right? So what I, what I also disclosed is like, man, yeah, I don't like to fly. I don't like it at all. Actually, I, I would, I would classify it as a, a, a phobia of heights and, and not just airplanes, but I wouldn't like being up in fucking tall buildings. I wouldn't like, if I had to choose, I wouldn't be a fucking scaffolding construction worker or not, like, you know what I'm saying? I just don't like heights. I don't even like the fucking mm-hmm. idea of it. So, you know, although, you know, that being said, I was saying that while I was taking flights during, during my college season. So right. it, it wasn't like I was saying I won't fly. I was just saying, no, we fly all the time here with the team and I don't fucking like that shit, period. So for you flying at the time, because I want to see how you are now with it, was it just something like, you know, some people don't like to fly, or, or did, was it really like a stressful, anxiety-ridden thing to get on flights? Like, did you really suffer, and do you still suffer from actual, fl- you know, flying? It's hard to classify how much suffering one feels when doing something that's, that's you know, they, they really dislike. It's like, I only know relative to me. So yeah, I mean it. Mm-hmm. It is a lot of it is a lot of stress for me to go up thirty thousand feet in a fucking steel box. Like that's how my mind processes it, and and it is a stressor. Now, I didn't pass out when I had to fly. I didn't like get so riddled with anxiety that I couldn't play the game in the next city we went to. Like when I was in college, right? I mean, the the first the first triple double I had, and the only triple double that was recorded at an away game for a player was after I had taken the longest flight of our season to Texas A&M. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. You know, that lets you know, like, how the, mis- the, the misconception of, of trying to measure these things or quantify these things can have you, you know, you're, 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 you're skewed way in a, a place that is not in any way accurate to the situation. It's like, yeah, I don't like to fly, but that doesn't mean that I can't perform, and not only perform, perform at the elitist of levels. So. Before we even got to see you play, there was so much talk about you taking a stance against the NBA, uh, dealing with mental illness, dealing with mental health, and all that stuff. And then, and then somehow, some way, it was like you just you weren't playing. Like what what happened when you got to the Rockets? Yeah. So I mean, first of all, I I, I think it's appropriate for me to say, you know, just to be upfront and, and stay true to the way that I feel and, and, and my own my own voice. The truth is that there's a very intentional message that was given to the fans of, uh, uh, not from even before I was drafted. And, and this is what I was saying before about the conversation was already starting to brew before I was drafted that how do we look at mental health from a professional athlete standpoint and how do we look at mental health as a general society? And it was mm-hmm. all like, it was all, it was all queued up to say, 
well, we don't really have a stance yet, but this guy is a top five talent. Not only top five, like, potential. Like, this guy has a top five skill set, NBA-ready body, point guard at 260 pounds, 6'8", type of top five pick. You know, not mm-hmm. like some of these other top five picks, like, you know, just to say, like, a Joel Embiid, where it's like, you know, the guy has issues and, you know, his foot and he has body problems or... Or either, even Anthony Davis at the time, who went number one, his, his body still needed to mature, and he was going to need two or three months or a season with an NBA team and a regiment to be able to, to hone his skills in a certain way. No, I wasn't that. I was like, this guy is one of the freakiest players we've ever seen. He's 6'8", 260, and he's playing the point. This is fucking crazy. Right. Right? So, right. So, but it was queued up to say, but he could go as late as the end of the second round. Why? Because of his talent or his skill? No. Because we haven't discerned whether mental health is a medical issue or a character problem. So mm. you see what I'm saying? Like that was queued up already in the in the discourse. So back to your back to your point, or to the, the point you were making. So when I got to the Rockets, I, uh, I I had a I had a deep curiosity about what the mental health uh, stance was from the league's vantage point. Anyway, because. Here I am. I've gone through this draft process where it's been nonstop talk about myself, not only from the media, but when I go interview with teams. You know, I had a private investigator show up in Ames where I went to college and sit down with me for two hours talking about anxiety. And, and you know, not to mention that, again, with the media, I was constantly talking about anxiety in this draft process. So when I got to the NBA, I'm like, man, I got to carry out. Now we're actually here. Now me, myself as an individual in this corporation that I'm about to go into partnership with, which, which is an important distinction, that I'm about to go into partnership with is, is you know, we're here now in this situation. And I have a really a real curiosity about how they actually do feel about mental health because through this whole process, we haven't talked about it. The media has talked about it. My coach has talked about it. I've talked about it. You know, everybody's talked about it except for the two people that have to actually navigate it, which is me and the team. Mm-hmm. So, so we, we're all commissioned to, all the rookies are commissioned to go to the rookie transition program, which happens out in, I think it's Hoboken, New Jersey, uh, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, and, and we all fly out there and we go through these seminars. And there's seminars from everything from, you know, a chick claim that she raped you, your family will try and steal your money, you know, stay away from coke and, and alcohol and, and don't say anything about, you know, Jews or religion in the media type of shit. And I'm, I say that to be funny, but, you know, that's basically what... No, they, I got you, know, you. I it, got it's you. That type, it's that type of seminar, right? So, I, I, I'm, I'm sitting there and I'm like, well, damn, I mean, I'm dealing with an anxiety disorder and, and, and it's an underlying or subcategory of this large mental health issue that really affects all of these fucking things you guys are talking about. From religion uh. to politics to your relationships to drugs and alcohol mainly. And I was sitting there and Chris Heron, who you know from being a New York guy, mm-hmm. Chris Heron gave one of the most touching seminars I've ever sat in, like from an athlete or from anybody. And I've sat in many of them now from being, a, you know, doing these mental health speaking engagements and things like that. It was one of the most heartfelt and touching seminars I've ever heard about his addiction with heroin and just how, you know, how dark it was for him and i'm sitting there thinking to myself at 21 years old there has to be a mental health seminar coming next absolutely not there wasn't one so i go back home after this transition program and i look through my collective bargaining agreement i'm like well you know it can't just be that they're not 
they're not putting a seminar in in this thing. You know, is there any chance that maybe there just isn't a a general stance on this topic at all? So I'm going through my collective bargaining agreement, and lo and behold, there's not one fucking paragraph about mental health in the entire document. Like from from front to back, there wasn't a single paragraph about mental health. Mm. So I go to my team and I say, "Listen, this is I mean, training camp's about to start. It's day one of training camp. I hit the GM up. I'm like, yo, uh, I talk to my doctors, and and we think just from a standpoint of of good faith and trying to be proactive and trying to navigate this thing appropriately, I probably shouldn't be at team functions with this type of oversight." Because it's, it's almost to a point where it's so negligent that we're surely setting ourselves up to be at odds. And I don't want to be at odds with Houston or the NBA. But surely it will come to odds because the negligence is so high in, in this situation. So, so the first thing that happened in this conversation between me and the Rockets was I posed the idea that mental health should be looked at and respected as seriously as physical health, right? That's the obvious, like, standards, you know, uh, surface answers like mental health should be as important as physical health right it's really much deeper than that but that was the first thing we posed because the thought behind it from me and my doctors you know and, and i sent you the letter from the doctor signing the the letter to the nba saying that this thing is important etc cetera, etc cetera. the thought behind it was okay there's no language on mental health but if we if we say that if we agree that mental health is as important as physical health or falls under the same category, then we can at least use the physical health language in the document to serve as something for mental health as well. They right. didn't want to do that. They didn't want to do that. They said, no, no, no. Mental health is totally different than physical health. We're like, yeah, we fucking know that. But the point is, you don't have any language on mental health, so we're trying to at least bridge a gap. Right, you're trying to leave the gap out there for me to walk across the bridge and fall in my fucking doom, right? Which is ex- an extreme example, but you know, you get what I'm saying. Is like you want to ignore that the gap even exists. Were you feeling concerned about how your first season with the with the Rockets was going to be, or was it separate? Because for me, I remember thinking like, is this dude's agenda to deal with mental health because it's something that he wants to deal with, or is it? Royce's concern, like, I'm going to fucking have a problem being an NBA rookie. Like, I could sit here and say, oh, I'm doing this podcast with Royce, and then I could be thinking, oh, well, I want to make sure that the connection is good. You know, like, were you worried about, like, the the mental health for the big picture, or were you worried about the mental health for you specifically? Initially, of course, I was like, hold on a second. I have anxiety. How do you guys feel about the thing that I have? Right? Now... What that transformed into, I will honestly say, is, is as this conversation went public, there was a little hint of altruism in there, even from the start, I'll say. And if you go back and read some of the things that I said in high school and college, I've always been a guy that was, that, that's tried to be mindful of, of greater causes or, or, or greater effects across society with my actions. Because that's what athletes should be fucking doing, because we're in the public eye. And, and, and not only should we be doing it from our vantage point, but that's, the, that's what we're commissioned to do from those people. Being the right. the power players from the, the the sport is like you can't tell Charles Barkley he's a role model, but then get mad at the twenty one year old who's altruistic. It's like you can't have it both ways. So, but I'll say that it started with me thinking about okay, how am I going to navigate not only this year but my career with this corporation, not just the Rockets but the NBA in general. But then as the conversation went public, and I got this feedback from the people that were watching it, the fans of the game, and 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 mostly. 
which is really uh, was ironic and shocking to me, is that the majority of feedback came from people that didn't watch basketball at all. Mm-hmm, I'm sure. I got, I got so many messages from people that saying like, you know, I just discovered I had anxiety and I was Googling anxiety and your story popped up. I don't even watch basketball. I was just Googling anxiety because I just had my first or second panic attack. Right? Mm-hmm. So, so I, was, I was getting that type of feedback and what, what the overall message was, was we don't have a voice. I'm happy that you're even able to muster up the courage to admit your struggles in front of the world because that makes me feel like I have a voice. If you could go back and do it all again in terms of that rookie season, and, and this is all happening before you even get to play, would you have sort of been played and also dealt with it separately? Because inevitably, you playing and, and you being a force in the NBA and you emerging as a star, uh, which was what potentially you were going to be in the NBA, and also caring and pushing for, for mental health awareness and um, uh, you know and, and people being treatment, do, do you think that that would have been better serve both things because obviously your dream was to play in the NBA and then you, you, you come on with this thing which you care about just as obviously just as passionately like do you think that that would have helped push both causes e- easier you know uh, I, I would say to that point is like I didn't know what my dreams truly were yet at 18 uh-huh. or 19 20 21 I thought I knew what my dream was but who even really knows themselves at 21 right right it's like you always go through this turbulent situation that, that lets you uh, gain a better understanding of your true self. And I think that, ironically, this moment, which would have been pivotal anyway in, in most people's timelines of their life, became pivotal for me in an entirely different way, you know, mm-hmm. in, in that I, I learned more about myself or, or what was truly a, a, my dreams or goals of success. Uh, and but, but to your point on a more fundamental level, is like, I have an anxiety disorder. There's not a fucking, there's not a fucking sentence of mental health policy in this entire corporation. This is a non-starter. This, on a on a practical level, this is a non-starter. Like, uh, I'll give you a, a good example of this. Like, okay, what happens if I have a panic attack and I can't play? Right. The obvious sentiment right. would be like, well, okay, a panic attack. You know, you could say it's like a, a health. An, an acute health condition, and you know a team's not going to fine you or cut you or or whatever for that. It's like no, no, no. That's not the fucking point. The point isn't whether or not they're going to cut me or fine me. The point is, is there a general sentiment or perspective towards mental health that treats me having a panic attack the same way as a degenerate gambler or a degenerate alcoholic who who consciously decides to get drunk at Magic City and miss his practice the next day, right? There's a, mm-hmm. And even saying that, I have a sympathy for the de- degenerate alcoholic because there is great uh, symbiotic relationship between mental health, deep mental health problems or unresolved or unacknowledged or, or undiagnosed mental health problems that cause degenerate alcoholism. So mm-hmm. I have a sympathy for that, and I think that the NBA should have one as well, and, and this is how cases like Eddie Griffin and, and other names that you could talk about across time have have struggled with things, and those things have turned into the character issues, which I could see down my path clearly, even though I didn't have a drug or alcohol problem. But it was the same thing that they were going to do to the mental health problem. It's like, no, you won't, you won't fucking find me or cut me maybe for having an anxiety attack, but 
what you will do is next time the contract comes, you'll, you'll use anxiety, which is a, a federal disability and protected under the, uh, the, the Disability Act. You'll use that illegally to not give me a job the next time. So what we should do mm-hmm. is we should reshape the perspective now so that we don't have to have that tough conversation four years from now when my contract's up. You mm-hmm. see what I mean? I get you. I get you. So, so did ultimately, like, you being so passionate and you being so so outspoken about what you were dealing with, what you were potentially going to deal with, and everything that, that you were you were sort of thinking about at, at that young age. Like, how did it wind up sort of taking you out of the NBA? Because I remember looking up, like, I was like, yo, where's this dude at? Where's this dude at? Like, you know, and it's just, you know, f- five years ago, it's like um, social media wasn't what it is today. It's like you could have right, really sure. used, you know, Twitter. You could have used the hashtag to sort of have your back um, because now, like when shit goes on and an NBA rookie, you know, it, it would have sort of people would have rallied around you. You know, it's like you were like a few bro, years, but bro, listen, a few years early. This, Go ahead. This, but here's the reality: is that I'm 26, I'm not 36, and I'm not 46. Right. I'm still coming back. I'm still coming back to slap them in the mouth. It's just I had to figure out exactly what that meant for me, and I had to make sure that it wasn't it wasn't a revenge based action. Right. And, right. and to be honest, social media wasn't then what it is now. But I would say that I was outspoken on social media then. And I could have been more outspoken. And I could have been more. Um, I could have incited things. I could have mm. just called the race card out the gate. Right. Like mm-hmm. the ownership in the NBA is is overwhelmingly disproportionately uh, white versus black. Right. I could have called that mm-hmm. right away, but I didn't do that. I didn't. Mm-hmm. I didn't come out and say I didn't come out and say. You know, David Stern's a fucking asshole back then. I was always trying to be cordial of the of the um, the opportunity for the relationship to actually grow and for people to collaborate and do something special, right? Mm-hmm. And so, to your point of, of how did it happen? Like, how did I just slowly just be out of the league? Exactly like all those other players that we could list that had alcohol problems or, or domestic problems or 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 gambling issues or. Or, or whatever it was that they were doing that became that confirmation bias. Like, if I want to say, if I don't like Michael Rappaport because he's Jewish, let's just say, mm. right? I can easily come up with a bunch of other things that would replace, replace what I truly don't like about him. But the true underlying issue would still be that I don't like you because you're Jewish. And now all mm-hmm. I'm doing is trying to create all these other fucking confirmation biases that not only am I building for my story if anybody hears me talk about it out loud i'm building it for my fucking self so i can justify it to myself when i lay my head down at night right, right? so this is what ends up happening is like you have this mental health conversation where this 21 year old outspoken kid who gets emotional and passionate says all of these things about all of these issues and what we're gonna say after it all is like if he can't fly he can't play in our league when really you don't like it because I'm saying something progressive or I'm saying something that, that calls us to actually work a fucking bit instead of pretending like we have all the answers figured out in our little fucking 70-page collective bargaining document, right? I, I actually call us to look a little bit deeper beyond our arrogance, you know, beyond our vanity and see what's really going on here. That, that's what you don't like. But when you mm. have to say it publicly, you don't want to be an asshole, so you say, well, he has anxiety, and that's why he can't play. I totally understand what you're saying, man. It, it, it makes total sense, you know. And it's crazy because you, you're you're referring to yourself as 26, and you're still 
a kid, you know, and, and, you know, you've obviously a forward thinker and, and you've obviously seen a lot and been through a lot and, you know, and, and had this scrutiny and, you know, and this, this, this ride and it's, you're, you're 26 years old. So it's crazy. And it's like, you know, I could feel your, your passion, man. And, and, you know, and, 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 and I think it's dope. Well, thank you, brother. I appreciate that, man. Now I, I told myself like any, Anytime I've uh, anytime I, tra- I I talk about the league now or my situation or my story, I always tell myself before I get in the conversation, like, man, try and keep that passion under control. Try and keep that, you know, because I'm six eight two sixty. Like I get loud quick. Like my wife has to tell me all the time, babe, you don't realize you're getting fucking loud, and sometimes that shit is like scary. So like I'm trying to learn right. how to. No, I got but, you. you. Know, I got you. There's some about this story and like you know four or five years of of an ongoing drama and watching people give all these false explanations and justifications of, of why they didn't do this or that, uh, that, that brews up. And it's like, it's not just about my story, my frustration with my career. I could give a flying fuck. Like, honestly, mm. I was saying that back when I was 21, I was like, I don't give a fuck about a hundred million dollars. I, I know hundred, I know billionaires right now that are suffering from fucking, you know, the same deep common struggles that, that poor people are. I know you can't fucking escape the despair of, of the human existence. I'm not, a, you know, I'm 21, but I'm not fucking moronic. It's like $100 million, like Biggie said, $100 million would just give me more problems or different issues. Not They won't just mitigate them, right? So, mm-hmm. you know, I was, so, so that's, there's a, there's, it's not just about me. It's about the opportunity for people to give up their ego and their arrogance to collaborate on something that could help someone beyond themselves and looking at that opportunity and just spitting right on it, like consciously. Not like I have a subconscious reason for spitting on this opportunity to collaborate and create growth. I know that if there's a collaboration for growth possible, and I'm still going to fucking spit on it just because I'm either A, lazy, or I'm B, scared. And that's what it comes down right. to. It's like either fucking incompetent or you're scared of change. And either, both of those are problems, even though they're different. So. So at 26, you're still 6'8", you still play ball, you're still kicking ass, you're still talented, you're probably more talented than you were when the bulk of uh, uh, the NBA fans got to see you play. You know, the NBA uh, uh, still loves and still needs and, and teams still need, you know, 6'8", 260, you still 260, you 270, you put on like some, some, some more weight? No, I'm at- down a little bit. I'm down to like 255, but you know, I'm I'm still I'm still that frame though, you know, so You're a big motherfucker who can handle the ball, who can play ball. So with all the shit that's happened in the 5 years since you've been drafted, do you see a way back into the NBA and is that something that you'd want to do? I mean, yeah, I see a way back for sure. I mean, I, it, but but it's it's not a it's not a process or a pathway that that just involves a choice that I would make. And and that's the that's the misconception about about the human existence for, for most of us that, that I can see, in my opinion, across across the world is like, there's this false uh, hero story that we tell ourselves that our choice and our will will ultimately supersede the will of the collective or the choice of the collective. It's like, no, don't fucking kid yourself. You, you can choose as much as you can choose, and then things, and then we have all these cliches like, oh, well, God grant me the power to to deal with what I can and, and let go what I what I can or you you know all of that bullshit it's like no listen the pathway is that myself and the NBA and this fucking massive collection of doctors that have, have 
have echoed my sentiment about the importance of parity between mental health and, and, and general health to get together and just have a, just have a, a, a nice, honest conversation about what, what is our true goal, what is our true nature, and what is our ability to actually choose outside of our true nature. So we understand mm-hmm. that the of professional basketball is about profit, but we also understand that there is a, a, a public sentiment that you would like us to believe that says that you not only care about the athletes, but you also care about the fans and you care about the community, which was in the charter of the rookie transition program that I actually quoted in my letter to, to David Stern, I mean, Adam Silver and, and his constituents. I said, listen, yeah, we know it's about profit, but you said here in your charter to the rookies that, was, you know, that I was a part of and took the time to fucking read, which you actually would, in the fucking meetings, would get mad and say that, you know, none of you guys are actually reading this shit anyway. Now the guy that reads it and actually calls you on the language, you're like, oh, I want to persecute him too. Like, really, Mike, how fucking hard would it be to put a mental health policy in place for, for 350 players? Do you know what the biggest pushback I heard from, from suggesting a mental health policy was? The biggest pushback was that players would fake it. I, I literally, if, if, I wasn't in, if I wasn't so interested in a progress, I literally would have I, I cussed some people out. And I did cuss Daryl Morey out. And, and we could talk about this another time. Hopefully you come out here and, you know, we'll talk on my podcast that's coming out. But, you know, I talked to Daryl Morey. I, I cussed him out. But in all my other conversations, I try to be, you know, um, I try to keep progress and in, in, in in growth in mind and collaboration in mind. But if, if I didn't have that in mind, the idea that you would undermine the inherent uh, competitive nature of these elite athletes just to protect yourself from, you know, in, in legal terms, liability or, or mm-hmm. exposure, you know, it, that, that almost to me was, was, was a point or non-starter where I was like, this whole league ain't about what I thought it was. You know, because mm. as you come up through high school as a young player, it's all about teamwork and camaraderie and you're playing in front of your moms and your uncles and, and all of the people that you grew up in the neighborhood with. And then when you get to college, it's like, I'm playing with all of the people in my little college town, and we're going on the road to go, go to war against that town, and then we're coming back home to protect our shit here in this town. And, you know, it's a very war, war-like mentality, but it's based on community and, like, this understanding that we all have this real common struggle, so we have this common mm-hmm. goal, right? this common enjoyment from, from, from doing this thing together. I got to the league, and I'm hearing shit like that. I'm like, wait a minute, you mean to tell me that you're not going to put a mental health policy in place off of the slim champ that LeBron James might use it to get out of playing in the game? Mm-hmm. Like, you're already fucking resting him for games because of the extended length of the season. You're already mm-hmm. fucking resting players. Like, mm-hmm. players are always finding ways to, to, to acknowledge what their body and mind is telling them. Come on, bro. It's like, then they were like, well, there's no, there's no way to accurately measure anxiety like a broken ankle. It's like, don't fucking kid yourself. Just sprains your ankle. It's seven weeks later, and, and the doctors say everything's all good. They still had you run up and down and go, how does it feel? And at that point, anybody has a chance to fucking lie and say, ah, oh, it's still not right. Right. <laughs> right? So, I mean, but we just kid ourselves on and on. We kid ourselves, and we create these fucking negative and positive feedback loops that, that become these confirmation biases for all the bullshit that we don't want to face and acknowledge and, and fucking try and tackle. And this was that. This was a, a, a colossal version of that. It's like, now you're going to undermine the fucking, the fucking inherent competitiveness of all the other players in an attempt to 
discredit the, the, the notion that I brought up about this one policy when we really could just step back and go, you know, maybe we do need a mental health policy. This maybe. Has anything changed in the NBA since you were drafted? Um, uh, yeah, I think in the last collective bargaining agreement, I mean, I, I've been in contact with the union over the last four years. And like I said, me and a, a group of doctors have continued to communicate with the league office over the last four years. And in the last collective bargaining agreement, there says, there's a paragraph that says like a mental health program will be built at some point in the future. Right. Like that's the only paragraph. So, you know, again, you, you went through an entire collective bargaining agreement where you where you tackled everything from the ability to now put sponsors or, or, or partners on the jersey all the way down to how the fucking players have to dress coming in the arena. Mm-hmm. Right? The fucking socks, the socks have to fucking match. You have that mm-hmm. in the collective bargaining policy and the uniform policy and the fucking and the dress code policy section of the collective bargaining agreement. But you have one paragraph that mental health will be dealt with in the future sometime. It's like, how fucking deprioritized is this shit? It's like, man, I'm, is this like a parody? Is this a parody right. almost? Like the stocks are more important than people's psychological well-being? It's real shit. All right, before, but before I let you go, Royce, because this is good shit, let me ask you straight basketball questions. When, when, when oh, you yeah. guys were, you, you talked about the LeBron James camp. You guys are 15, 16-year teenagers Aside from yourself, like who who were the best players at that time before you guys even got to college? Like when you when you look back, like who were the most talented players out of that that little gla- crew of people that were maybe a year older, your age, or a year younger? Like who who was in that class, and who who do you remember playing against that stuck out? Uh shit, man. I mean, those once you get to that level, man, with that top forty guys, those guys that are already projected to be the NBA guys. Um, you know, those guys are, you know, every game, every drill, every scrimmage, every, a different guy is, is getting his shit off. You know what I mean? So, uh, you know, John Wall at times would look ridiculous. And then, and then Lance Stevenson would come and make him look ridiculous. Uh-huh. ridiculous. And then, and then John Wall would come back and make him look ridiculous. And that's kind of just how it went. Like, you know, even like Mason Plumley and like, you know, Mason Plumley is one of the most athletic white dudes I've ever seen in my fucking life. Like uh. in high school, he w- he was going up and jamming that bitch, and he was like putting his fucking head in the rim. Like you know, one of those one of those white dudes where you're like, man, not only do I not want to get dunked on, but if I get dunked on by this dude, that footage is for sure making it to the internet. You know what I'm saying? Because it's just like uh-huh. y- you don't see it, you don't see it that often. So you know, it's it, there was there were so many different guys with so much talent. I would say probably the most uh, mature game at that time. Uh, just in terms of like not being able to, I mean, being able to, when he wanted to, do what he wanted to, um, with, with no co- real contention or no like real difficulty, I would say is, uh, yeah, I would have to probably say it might have been D Cousins, you know, because he right. just not, you know, he's another player that like, you know, like myself is big, you know, it's just just got a massive body and and has a, a skill set in the game that's so versatile it's like who guards him and how do you guard him it's like you can't get too close to him because if he drives by you and gets his shoulder by you you're never going to get back in front of him and if you sag too far off him he hits one two threes he'll light your ass up like all night so you know it, it's players that that pose those kind of mismatch problems are always the players that i like is like kind of this positionless basketball philosophy 
you know, this really started to emerge with the LeBron James. There's been players over time that have been positionless. Like, I think Larry Bird was a positionless player in a lot of respects. Yeah. Johnson was well, Was, was, was DeMarcus shooting those fucking threes when you guys were that young? Was he always infatuated with the threes? I mean, yeah, he could always shoot it. Yeah, I, I would say he could always shoot it. I, I would say more when we were that age, he was shooting uh, more mid-range jump shots. But, again, in a situation where we're at a LeBron camp and he's just scrimmaging back and forth, guy comes down, you're not going to be able to stop DeMarcus from catching it 15 feet from the block. He'll face you up and, and pop a J on you for sure. You know what I mean? Now, now, one of the things that I'm trying to get to the bottom of when I interview uh, you guys, especially from that class, and I asked Drummond about it on, on another interview in Beal, has, have any of you actually ever seen Anthony Davis at 6'3"? Because this myth, I'm trying to see if this is all folklore. They said Anthony Davis was 6'3", and then two months later he was 6'9". Did you ever see a 6'3", Anthony Davis? Dude, I, Anthony's Anthony's three years younger than me, so I never saw Anthony before before he was a freshman at Kentucky. To be honest, like I never, okay. I never even, yeah, I didn't even know him then. So I didn't, I didn't know right. him until we played. All right, that's fine, that's fine. So, so you're the fourth person who has never been able to verify if Anthony Davis was six three when he, when he was in the tenth or eleventh grade. Because I'm thinking this whole thing was made up. Uh, it, it's my little my little <laughs> uh, project. I'm I'm trying to get to the bottom of. Yeah, no, I definitely can't verify that. No, definitely not. All right, well, Royce, listen, man, I appreciate you taking the time uh, coming on the podcast. I would love to do your podcast. You stay in touch with me uh, uh, about whatever, and, and I'll do the same thing, my man. And I, and I wish you luck with, with, with everything you're doing on and off the court, my man. And I, uh, Just remember, you're 26, man, and, and enjoy being 26. I'm 40 fucking 7. I, I snapped my fingers a couple of years ago, and I was 26 too, man. So, so enjoy, enjoy it while you're young, my friend. Man, I appreciate it, man. Thanks for having me on, man. I'm a big fan. You know that, bro. Absolutely, and, and stay in touch with me, and I will too. Okay, brother. Appreciate it. All right, cool, boys. All right. Hello, I'm here. Chris, it's Michael Rappaport. How you doing? Great. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. It's nice to meet you. It's nice to talk to you. I'm uh, I'm excited to talk to you for a little bit. I'm I'm a big fan, a big longtime fan. So so let's just jump into it. All right. Yes. Thank you for having me on your show. Uh, are you kidding me? That. It's an honor. Honestly, it's an honor. I'm a, I'm a real fan. I've been a fan. So Chris, you're the champion. You got a big fight coming up, Holly Holm, December thirtieth. Where's your head at now? As you know, as as it gets closer, like like how are you feeling about everything? Uh, I don't know. The last two weeks now is uh, media, a lot of media things, and then everything the training we done, done already. You know, I feel great. You know, uh, my weight's great. Great. I trained really hard. Ten hours training my fight. You know, I'm ready for December thirty. What is a day like when you're in full training? Can you walk me through like when you wake up? till the end of the day, like what your day is like when you're at full training? Because, like, I, I don't uh, know if you've ever seen me, Chris. I'm far from being an elite athlete, and I'm envious of what you guys do. In the morning, I do I run, and I do my training at, like, 10.30, 10 to 12. And I go home, eat again, rest, and they train back, train again, more two hours. You know, it's, uh, it's all day, all day. Just eat, train, sleep. How much sleep do you try to get when you're when you're training full tilt like that? Uh, you know, nighttime usually we sleep like seven hours. I know, I know it's better eight, nine hours, but uh, the training schedule is like eight, and sometimes you run after 
And then they go home and then they try to sleep early again. But I was wake up early, like 6, uh, 5.45 and run. But the, the, the nap, I can take, take night time. Um, afternoon is really helping. You know? If you take a nap, nap, like 30 minutes, really help you, you know. It helps for recovery. And then and then we do ice bath too and help you for recover mm. your body too. So why are there so many great fighters traditionally from Brazil? What is it about that country uh, that that makes so many tough fighters, men and women, historically. Well, what is it about Brazil that breeds so many tough guys and girls? You know, the most the most fighter in Brazil is to have a high life. You know, I think you have a fight for you survive there, and I think when the people start fighting and then see how good things you can get, you can change your life, and I think it more motivate you for keep fighting. You know, and then fight about the struggles, everything. And motivate motivate each other, and then I think you may have a lot of heroes, you know, in Brazil. Like you, you, you fight for change your life, you fight for for help your family, and I think this motivate all the fires. Ronda Rousey, that story was like such a big deal for so long. That fight never happened. Obviously, are you disappointed that that fight never happened, or is it just was it not meant to be for you and her? And, you know, one thing, you can be, okay, you can control yourself training, but you control you cannot control somebody fight, force you fight, you know, and then I did my best I can for five rounds, you know, I, I try, I try, I worked hard uh, three years for try drop 135, and then finally I started fighting 140, I did catch weight for supposed to fight her, and then I feel my heart, I feel, you know, I did my best I can for the fight happen. If the fight don't happen, it's not because of me. And then I don't, I don't, I don't have anything like I think it made me frustrated because I think it can be frustrated when you don't try. You just have to train, train hard. And then I feel my heart. I did everything for the fight happen. I don't feel frustrated, you know, and I feel I'm in other chapter in my career now and I hold the belt and then I did everything I can for the fight happen for all my fans. All right. December 30th, which is my mom's birthday, Las Vegas. Oh, nice. <laughs> you and Holly Holm. Did you ever, in your wildest dreams, think, like when you started fighting, think that two women would be headlining one of the biggest fights of the year uh, the day before New Year's Eve in Las Vegas? Like in your wildest dreams, like just as, as a woman fighter, don't you think it's crazy that like where the sport has come? Uh, you know, I'm really happy about it, you know, how the sport's growing, the women's MMA. Ronda Rose did an amazing job, you know, she, she do all support for women's MMA growing. Right. And then, I'm very thankful, you know, for this. And then, you know, uh, we we enemies, literally, like, uh, no enemies, but because we fight each other all the time we need, and this is making grown a lot of women's MMA. And then, uh, the opportunity to fight now in the headline, and it's December 3rd for me, it's, you know, it's, uh, I feel very blessed, and you know, I just go over there and do my my job and you know bring the belt like stay and hold the belt and bring the belt for brazil and then yeah i think it'll be amazing and everything for us to give this opportunity and for sure me all gonna be amazing fight so the, specifically when you're fighting holly she's a striker she's a tough fighter she's won fights she's persevered what is your plan that you could discuss obviously you're not going to give me everything but like what is your approach to, to going after holly home uh, you know, it's, it's, this fight, I have five rounds to finish this fight, you know, I don't need to rush. I just have to see the opportunity for finish the fight that I can't finish. 
And then, uh, I, I know I'm a two time with the world champion. It's, it's MMA fight, you know, strike fight. You know, people are watching me and, you know, I kill all the girls, but, you know, I have, I have an MMA game. I have a ground upon. I have a wrestling. I have jiu-jitsu. And I have a Muay Thai. I have boxing. You know, I, I have all the skills I can use for the fight. And I just have to see the right time to use. And that's it. You know, and you have five rounds. You have to have patience. And, you know, the game, the whole other hours she run away. Maybe she just fight, she changes, she try to do something else, go together, but, you know, at a different situation to fight. Like, how much time do you get to spend watching fights just as a fan? There's been so many great boxing matches and so many great uh, UFC fights and MMA fights across the board this year. How much time do you, do you spend watching? Uh, you, I, I don't watch much fights, you know. I, I train all day. I just like watching fights with people I really know, and they're my friends. And then, you know, some fighters really good, you know, talent that I like to watch. And then some, some fight, but I really... I really don't no, no, no watch fights all the time. Really, it's, it's, it's not something I like to separate a little bit. I think too much for my mind. Watch fights all day and train all day. I think it's too much. I got you. So what do you do to relax? Like, you know, obviously you're busy now. You're promoting the fight. You're training. You got to get focused. Like, what, what, do you, what is Chris Cyborg? Because you have such an image of being such an ass kicker. What do you do to relax? Like, what do you do to calm down and just chill out? Uh, you know, I like to be with my family, I like to be with my friends. I like to run too, I like to hiking, I like to walk with my dog and then chilling with my friends. And, you know, I like to do Pink Belt Camp. I always do camp only for women. The name is Pink Belt Fitness. It's like two days with me. We train together. You know, I show, I, I show how to have a good for have a health life. You know, training, um, like better nutrition, you know, show the new weight. And it, this time is great because the girls can meet each other, you know, can share the struggle in their life, and then we can help each other. All right, Chris. Well, I'm going to let you go. Uh, I really appreciate you taking the time to, to come on the podcast. I'm a humongous fan. I'm going to try to make it out there on December 30th and uh, watch you and Holly go at it. And I wish you a lot of luck in this fight and the rest of your career and keep kicking ass, keep doing your thing. And, and I hope uh, you get to reach all your goals in your life. You have a great story. And, uh, you know, I'm just a big fan, as a lot of people are. Uh, thanks so much. Thanks to all my fans. And then make sure you guys, this is in Vegas, you know, we make one share it for Ted Bear. And then you're going to have, I think, 29 and 28. You have the opportunity to leave the, the Ted, Ted Bear in the one station. And in Las Vegas, for you can donation for the kids in the hostel. And then you can see more on my Instagram, you know. But uh, that's it. Thanks for the opportunity. Thank you, all my fans. You know, I appreciate anyone. I, I appreciate it, too. Everyone. Keep doing all the good things you're doing, Chris. And great luck with the rest of the training. I can't wait to see you on the 30th. Okay, great. Thank uh, you. Thank you, Chris. All right. Yo, listen. I told you it was a long weekend. We were going to give you a long jam-packed I Am Rapport Stereo Podcast episode. I want to thank my man Roy Jones Jr., my man Royce White, Chris Cyborg, who's fighting Holly Holm. 2017 has been a great year. Listen, can't stop, won't stop. In 2018, folks, we're going to step it up. 2018, we're going to have three episodes a week, okay? Tuesdays, Wednesdays, and Fridays are now our days. Okay? Yeah. It gives the listeners time during the week to digest the greatness. It's the fucking takeover in 2018. 
2017, yeah. great. 2018, the year of the dingo. More G Moody, more sports, more sick fucks, more five mic interviews. Moody, congratulations, 2017 podcast co-host of the year. Yeah, the title is up. So it's up for grabs. Anybody can get it now. I didn't I didn't showed my ass on it, so that's it. Um listen, folks, have a safe, healthy, safe, safe New Year's. We'll be back right at the top of 2018. All new, brand new I Am Rapport Stereo Podcast. Like I said, we're going to start doing three episodes a week. Appreciate the fans. Appreciate the Rapper Pack. Appreciate yep. the Instagram. Pre- appreciate the Snapchat, the Facebook. All the support we get. We see it all. We try to get back to all of you. On behalf of me, G Monetti, Miles Davis, Jordan Winter, a.k.a. the Dust Brothers, I Am Rapport Stereo Podcast. We'll be back at the top of 2018. More hard-hitting, more smash-mouth podcasting. Yo, safe 2017 New Year's. I'm out. Peace.